the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Cheap, cheap, fun, fun. Spring is in the air and Dirt Cheap is in your neighborhood ready to deliver the perfect drinks to your doorstep. That's right. All of Dirt Cheap's convenient locations now offer delivery of their wide selections of beers, wines, and all the spirits you need. And if you're like me, nothing hits better in the springtime than a nice weeded bourbon. Ask the friendly staff at Dirt Cheap about their selection of weeders like Maker's Mark, Larceny, and so many others. Download the Dirt Cheap app and order curbside or delivery. Have fun, but be careful out there. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the Ribs and BK Podcast on 101 ESPN. Yeah, I appreciate it, respect it. He's dedicated himself to his craft and, and has a goal, which, you know, for the last couple of years, we've, had, we've shared the same goal, which just hadn't been able to align. And so now it looks like he's got a much better chance to align. He's put his time in and the effort in and the work in between that, and all the things that it takes to, to be a starter that, you know, look, this guy's been a starter and been two all-star games. So just a matter of getting back to the dedication of his craft and making sure he can recover and and handle the load. Of course, the load will be a little short this year with a shortened season. Listen, I have a lot of opportunities to be wrong on this show. A whole lot of them. And I know all of you on the tax line at 65780 very much enjoy when your friend Brandon Kylie is wrong on this show. So I'm going to take every opportunity to make sure that I am open and honest when 24 hours after I have a strong take, it is proven 100% wrong. Good morning, Jamie Rivers. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Alex. Hey, fellas. With former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I am Brandon Kylie. And 24 hours ago, Jamie, I said this on the radio about Carlos Martinez's future with the St. Louis Cardinals. They can buy him out going into the 2022 season. So after next season for $500,000 or they pick up that option for $17 million. If they don't view him as a stalwart in that rotation, I just don't see any way that they actually pick up a $17 million pitcher that is either a closer or a reliever for them. Well, I I still believe that to be true, but I don't think he's going to be a closer or a reliever anymore. I said, I think I said the same thing. And I, I, I mean, I was even more, I'm like, this is his last season. Like he's gone <laughs> yeah, at the you, end of this season. You and both were on that train. Yeah. I oh mean, boy, look, baseball uh, really took us up into the, into the drift. Well, now this is our plan, right? But we both, or we all know that this could still end up being exactly what we thought is going to be. But as of right now, yeah, Mike Schilt is looking at, Carlos Martinez to be a big part of the team. And heck, I even heard, uh, I think it was Mark Saxon talking this morning on Carriker and Smallman. And he mentioned that, uh, you know, they view him as Flaherty one and Martinez two. 
in the rotation. Ultimately, that's what they want. Martinez, part two is he is the utility man pitcher. Like, he, he, he is supposed to be that starter for you, but he can be like a Tommy Edmond, and you can throw him in the bullpen for three innings, or you can use him as a closer. Like, he is the ultimate utility man that you can do whatever you need with him to help your team out. And in a typical year, I would say that's all very fine and good, Alex Ferrario. <laughs> Well, you're gonna Don't you use my full name, Brandon Kylie? <laughs> What's your middle name, Ferrari? I am not telling you both because you will use it all day. That's a good point. That's a great point by you. However, in a typical season, I would say you're going to get a hell of a lot more value out of Carlos as a starter than you will with him being in your bullpen. Just because of innings. Like, Carlos Martinez at his peak can be a 180-inning starter for you. That's hugely valuable, especially when you're going to get a 3-2 ERA out of him, which is what he's typically been when he's been at the top of his game. This year's a little different. And this year, I think the difference in the value between your starters and your relievers is going to get a little muddled because your starter very well may go on a consistent basis four innings. Your high-end relievers, your high-leverage guys that are going to be your closers, that are closing things out, could be almost as valuable as your three and four and five starters because of what they're able to do compared to the innings that you're getting this season as opposed to a typical year out of those starters. So I do think Carlos, even if he is kind of swinging back and forth, can be a valuable pitcher for the Cardinals this year. And I actually have more faith today than I have at any point in the offseason that Carlos is going to be in the starting rotation because of what we heard yesterday from Mike Schilt and because of what we heard yesterday when Carlos Martinez himself said he had very recently thrown seven innings in 95 pitches <laughs> down in the Dominican. I heard that. And I was like, see, you can throw a pitch while you're in quarantine. Nobody's stopping you. But like, yet, look, I see I see this being a situation where this is the path they've carved out for him. Whether he gets the rotation sooner or, or than later, I don't know. I still think he's got some work to do. The fact that he did say he threw 95 pitches, that's probably a little more than the Cardinals would want him. I wonder what the Cardinals' him. response was when they heard that. Yeah, uh, but it does show that, I mean, if the story's true and he's not fluffing the numbers, it shows that he seems to be ready for it. So, I don't know. If he's ready for it and he's able to compete and pitch the way we know he can, I'm all for it. This is all about health. If he can uh, Carlos Martinez is a great pitcher and he's great for your rotation but he's got to stay healthy if he can stay healthy he is a legitimate number two that anybody would want on their roster it's just a matter of the concern of can he give you that for a full season because if he can't he's not much benefit to you Greg Amzinger of MLB Network was on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today and he talked about what he would like to see from Carlos Martinez and he does think that his best his most valuable spot for this team is actually not in the rotation. Instead, it is as a closer. I think Carlos Martinez needs to save games for the Cardinals, even though he's a top stepper. I've always called that. I've always described him that way. There's certain guys just you hold your breath, and he seems to be that guy in the ninth inning, but he's got the best stuff for that role if Gallegos isn't going to be ready to go. If Gallegos is back, I'd rather have him there. I still keep Carlos Martinez a long man out of the bullpen. Make the bullpen a weapon with as many young, talented arms as you can. I think the starting pitching is good without Carlos Martinez. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show throughout the day. From the 314, BK, the starters are not going to last just four innings the entire season. Get a clue. 
fair. Started early. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm not the only one that views it that way. As I was listening to Greg Amsing earlier today, he said specifically, I think that we're going to see a lot of starters go three, four innings early in the season. And then maybe when you get to two weeks left in the regular season, you'll start seeing them get a little deeper into games. But they haven't had a whole lot of time to ramp up here. We are two weeks away. Well, from they've actually had a day. lot of time. <laughs> True. More time than usual. Fair. Touche. <laughs> But to actually be on the field with their teams in real training camps type of settings, they're going to have about two more weeks now. They're going to have about three weeks total, or they were supposed to. We'll see. The whole testing thing. But... And then they're right into the regular season, and now you're trying to ramp things up very quickly. So I think it will be about four or five innings early on. And by the end of the regular season, maybe now you're getting to six or seven innings. But you're not going to see many complete games, if any, this year. And I do think they're going to be a little quicker on the hook this year as well with those relievers coming into the game because you have a a bigger bullpen. You're going to have more guys out there that are able to help you out from that perspective as well. Yeah, I think Cardinals, as deep as they are with pitchers, I, I do think they're going to control the pitch count, making sure that these guys don't get stretched out so far into a game that, you know, for the next game or the two games after that, you've lost one of your aces. And they have so many guys that can pitch in that mid-relief, give you three, four innings in that role, too. So, yeah, for me, that's the way way I would play it, you know? Now, I'm, I'm no... Mike Schilt. I'm no baseball manager. I've always mistaken you for Mike Schilt, actually. We get that a lot, actually. We were out in public one time together, and you go, are you guys twins? (laughs) Happens a lot. (laughs) Mike Schilt has a very difficult job this year. He has a difficult job with left field. He has a difficult job with figuring out who his DH is going to be on a consistent basis. He's got to figure out how long the leash is for guys like Matt Carpenter and Dexter Fowler. What am I getting out of Harrison Bader? There are question marks all over this roster. All over. And now he also has one that he's got to deal with in the rotation, potentially, with Carlos Martinez. What does that shoulder look like? Because... As much as we talk about Carlos Martinez when he's on the field and the inconsistencies there that some people will discuss, it's really about his health. If he's healthy, he's always been a quality starting pitcher in the major leagues. He's just rarely been 100% healthy over the last few years. And so that's going to be my biggest question is, okay, you threw 95 pitches down in the Dominican. That's great. Can you do it again five days later and then again five days after that and then again five days after that? By that fifth start, are you still at 100%? Are you still at at least 80%? Because that's been the issue for him over the years is the consistency of being healthy throughout the regular season. And that's something that Mike Schultz is going to have to monitor while also monitoring all of these other questions that he has to answer throughout the season. Anthony Stalter has said this before. And I will go ahead and reiterate it. He's the guy with the most pressure on him this year. The guy that will determine the most for this Cardinal season based on what he does is very likely Mike Schilt because he's the guy that's got to push all the right buttons in a very shortened, very condensed season with 60 games being all that he's able to manage. I agree. 
Absolutely. We look at this is a whole other animal. This isn't managing a team for 162 games. It's not what any of them are used to, for that matter. And Mike Schilt is going to have to make a lot of quick decisions, hard decisions. He's going to have to park the feelings over in the closet and pull them out of the closet when the season's over, because guys are not going to be happy and they're not going to be thrilled a whole year with what goes on if they're playing, not playing where they are in the order. Heck, if they're pitching, or if they're in the bullpen rather than being a starter, there's a lot of stuff that's going to that's going to go on that guys won't deem very popular, but this is Mike Schultz's job, and it's his job to convey that message to the players in training camp. We're in a sprint, guys, and we do. We have a real legitimate chance at doing some great things this year, and this is how it's going to operate. If you're not up for the task, then don't, like, just go home. Opt out. We'd love to hear from you throughout the day. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You can always get involved in the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. It is 1114, your time track, brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The NHL has announced its schedule through the end of this calendar year, Jamie Rivers. And I would love to know how you would have reacted to this quick turnaround. We'll talk about that next, coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Really, since then, I've just treated it as my offseason. I mean, I figured, you know, if we do go back and play uh, and finish, and let's just say we do go all the way, it's going to be technically an offseason, which will be probably shorter than normal. So there won't be much time to kind of train and get back. So, you know, we'll, we'll have three weeks, four weeks of training camp and then probably a couple weeks before training camp before we even know that we're going to play. So I think that's ample time for a guy like me who uh, who could probably use the rest. With former Blue superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So that was Alex Petrangelo about a month ago on this show talking about what his time off has been like for him, Jamie. And speaking of time off, there ain't going to be a whole lot of it after this postseason is over for whoever the Stanley Cup champions are. Stanley Cup final is now expected to be between September 20th and October 2nd. This was all announced yesterday. The draft will then be held the following week, October 6th. Then training camp starts up on November 17th, about six weeks after the scheduled completion of the Stanley Cup final will be the start of the following season's training camp. And then boom, December 1st, the startup of the 2020-2021 NHL season. Jamie, you were a player. You played in this league for a long time. What would it be like for you if you were playing right now and you had that kind of a turnaround of basically two months between the end of one season and the start of the next one? It wouldn't bother me. It really wouldn't. And here's the way I would look at it. Kind of like Petro said is during this quarantine or, you know, pandemic, they've gotten quite a bit of time off. And this essentially this pause has turned into their summer or their off season. And so when they go back to work and they play, let, let's hope the Blues are playing on yeah. October 2nd, all those things, you know, great stuff. They're a month out, essentially. I know a little bit more than a month out, but that could be like an Olympic break. Like NHL players are used to this kind of a, I guess, a, a pause, the three week, four week pause in the middle. Like, so it's no different that way. I think the players would just find three weeks. They'll get some time off. They'll heal up. They'll, you know, stay in shape, stay on the ice to get to the the big thing that I'm looking at is 
the players that are going to be traded or moved around or un, you know unrestricted free agents, all that stuff. How does their life look in that three weeks? That's probably the hardest thing of all. And let's isolate Alex Petrangelo if we're going to talk about that. You know, his season comes to an end October 2nd. He hits free agency probably, gosh, I would say probably October 7th. It would be the day after the draft. And now you've got two weeks, two and a half weeks to pull your you-know-what together. He's got three kids in tow, a wife. Like, And this is assuming that he he would be leaving, right? Obviously, we don't want him to leave, but that's what it would end up being. So those guys there are going to have it a lot tougher. The guys who are traded or signed as free agents. But the guys here, like St. Louis Blues guys, like uh, Braden Shen, he's on a big deal. He's not going anywhere, right? Season's over. He's going to get three weeks. going to go play some golf, stay in the gym daily. He'll be ready to go. And next season, I think we'll see some of the best hockey ever because guys won't get out of shape. I think they'll mm-hmm. be ready to go. Well, remember, too, in terms of the free agency, the, the, the new rule, at least if I was understanding it correctly, is back to what it used to be for free agency. There's no more talking with people before free agency yeah, opens. That courting. There, there's always talking, but officially, like you cannot offer a player anything until day one of yeah. free agency, which is a benefit because of this short time. I was thinking about it last night, guys, and if you think about it, getting this three, four months off is kind of a luxury for a Stanley Cup championship team because you're not going to get that benefit. And let's say that the season played itself out and the Blues did go all the way back to the Stanley Cup final. You're going to get a month or two off like you did the last time. So to get this three to four months time off in between and then going into a playoff and then a month off. That's a luxury for teams that are going to go the distance regardless. So what we're experiencing right now, and I know this is what some of the players have been taking it as, this is an offseason that nobody expected to have so that when you start up, let's say you go all the way. You're going to play a month off right back into the season as if you won a Stanley Cup. I find it really interesting what you said, Jamie, about the players that are moved this offseason and the difficulties that they might feel going into the following season while trying to find a house for themselves, right? Trying to find the schools that the kids are going to be in. All these different things that are real life stuff that you've got to deal with whenever you're moved to a different team. The Blues likely won't have to deal with much of that because most of the roster and we hope the entire coaching staff is already in place. There's not expected to be a whole lot of shakeup on the NHL roster from what it is today to what it will be next season. And fingers crossed that also will include their captain that we all hope that they're able to resign and bring back next season. But it, it could be an advantage for a team like the Blues that are an established roster, a cohesive coaching staff that has now had their plan, their culture implemented for 18 months, basically, on this roster. That could be another advantage for this type of a team here in St. Louis. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, Doug Armstrong and his staff have done an incredible job of building this team. And in the last offseason, kept it pretty much the same. Yeah, Pat Maroon left for Tampa, uh, a trade for Justin Falk. Joel Edmondson goes down to Carolina, but that's essentially it. You know, they brought in uh, Scandella on the back end, but we know he fit in perfectly like he's been here for a decade Mm -hmm. on and off the ice. So, yeah, if I'm Doug Armstrong, the biggest question marks you have are you want to get Vince Dunn signed and you want to get Alex Petrangelo signed. And if that's the case, guys... And the Blues can keep this team together for yet another season. And we don't know what will happen yet for this season. But I believe, personally, the Blues have a really good chance at repeating. 
You take that team and you bounce them back a month or three, yeah, three weeks later after the season's over, you have a team now that's a legitimate threat again to be very successful. So that's why that part's important to have a team that's already established is there's no introductions. There's no easing your way in. You're going to come back. You're going to know the guys, know the system, know the coaches. It's just going to be like, boom, here we go. I found it interesting when I, when I asked Hitch this question last night for behind the bench, you know, what's the benefit of a team going into his 2014 playoff format? And he said, comfortability with your teammates and coaching staff. He said, that is, that is who's going to prosper in this Stanley cup playoffs when they start And meaning he said, the blues have such a great advantage because you have that comfort level like you just talked about ribs of having the same roster of guys who know each other who know how to play the game and what their style is but that coaching staff he said that's going to be the biggest thing Barubi, Ott, Van Ryan they know how to push these players how to or, or when to stop pushing them to hit that cutoff level and he said that is going to be a luxury in this playoffs for these the teams. The word trust I think is really important here too because we always talk about it on the ice and Jamie you've certainly felt this I would imagine on the ice when you're you're with somebody that you guys have been together for a little while and you just you know where they're going to be at all times and you have that trust that inherent trust with one another it's also that way off the ice right now for these guys. Mm-hmm. I heard it from Joel Embiid talking the other night about how he doesn't trust other NBA players. He's like, listen, I'm going down to this bubble and I'm going to try to win a title, but I don't trust these other dudes. I don't know what they're doing whenever they leave the court. It's going to be a lot of that within these individual teams of I got to trust each and every one of these dudes that are next to me, not just on the ice, but also trust that they're doing it right off of the ice as well. So that way we can finish this regular season. And then, God forbid, there's not a vaccine. We don't know what it's going to look like whenever this thing starts back up again in December. But then I can trust again that they're going to be able to get back to the ice, be back in shape and be ready to go and doing the right thing again whenever we start the 2020 2021 season so there's a lot of trust that's going to go into all of this both in the front office and at the player level so that's an interesting point we kind of touched on it i believe last week just a little bit but no uh, at no other point in my time in the nhl has there ever been a bigger moment than right now for what you said the trust because you always had trust in the guys like you got my back i got yours and you know we're going to p- play our positions properly you've got this great culture but i'm waiting to see the teams that implode and the, the reason i say that is you're going to have young guys get they're, they're going to find a way out of the bubble and they're going to go do something and it might be just fine or it might be awful where one of these young guys comes back or even if it's an older guy, who knows, right? Comes back and all of a sudden he's carrying the virus and then he infects two or three other players. What is the trust factor now going to be on that team? How much damage is done there? Because I know myself, I'd walk across the room and want to punch the guy in the face, <laughs> of course, wearing a mask and rubber gloves at the time. But that will happen. And so, you know, you have to have these tough meetings before you get to that point. And the Blues do have an advantage in that that side of things right now they have a great leadership group but guess what they're they're going through it you know the players tested positive and so now it's almost That's a good ble- point it, with, for pardon these words but it's almost a blessing that that happened now because to my knowledge everybody seems to be recovering just fine everybody's good but they now they can cross that bridge now and have that meeting and go listen we're not doing this for the rest of this playoff run we're not and here are the fines that we're going to have here's the things are going to happen whatever it is you have those tough discussions some teams will have nothing to talk about 
until it happens. And by then, it'll be too late, and it might absolutely destroy a team. It's a teaching moment, right? Yeah. You hear this all the time from coaches where they say, I, I want to have a loss somewhere in here because I need that tape to be able to teach off of it. It's a lot easier to teach off of a loss than it is off of a win because in the win, a lot of that stuff kind of gets taped over, right? You, you, you got the win, so that's all that matters in the end. Players listen a lot more when they're like, oh, damn, that, that small thing that happened, that was a really big thing that led to the loss. This is a really big thing now. When you do that small thing of potentially going to a bar or whatever it was, and something comes out of it, you can learn from that now, as opposed to whenever you get out to Edmonton and you're having to do these real things of trying to win the Stanley Cup title. So there's a lot that's going to go into this, and there's a lot of trust that's going to have to be there from everybody involved. Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Daniel Kaplan is a sports business reporter for The Athletic. He's breaking down everything that's going to have to go into this NFL season for it to actually take place. And there's a whole lot that still needs to take place for it to happen. We'll talk to Daniel Kapanel about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blue Star defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by sports business reporter for The Athletic. He is Daniel Kaplan joining us on the show. Daniel, first of all, thanks so much for taking some time to come on the show with us today. I wanted to start with this because over the last 24, 48 hours or so, I think we've seen the start of what is going to be a negotiation between the NFL and its players. What do you make of the start of this and how ugly do you think this could potentially get? Well, I don't think it's going to get ugly because uh, unlike Major League Baseball, where there were no CBA provisions to account for dramatic revenue losses, there are provisions like in the other leagues with the NFL to account for dramatic revenue losses. Uh, it's just that it won't, the, the provisions don't account for them this year in 2020. Uh, if there's no agreement between the NFL and NFLPA to account for the fact there'll be almost no local revenue this year, that will just get reflected in the 2021 cap. So the, the dispute is not necessarily whether uh, the, the loss of ticket sales and sponsorships and, and whatnot are, are reflected in the bottom line. It's just when that will occur. Now, Daniel, the the NFL as a whole, we've been talking about it since the beginning of this pandemic. We talked about how they have the longest runway of all the major sports because, you know, they their season doesn't start till much later. Well, that's creeping up on everybody right now. And I don't know personally if they have all the protocols and things in place, but is the NFL right now ready for training camp or are we going to see, you know, a, a league or ownership or whatever come out here and not be doing it right? Will they find a way to mess this up and not even on purpose? Well, look, they're they're not doing it in a bubble the way MLS uh, is doing it and the way NBA is doing it. So it's harder to control the spread, especially if you're in some of these markets that have become epicenters, whether it's Florida or Texas or California. But, I mean, clearly the, the league is doing everything within reason to try to control try to control the situation whether it's it's, co- it's constant testing every day uh it's education about how the players should interact once they leave the premises cleaning the premises 
social distancing. Look, they're, they're doing everything you'd expect them to do, but uh, I think we just have to be prepared for uh, at least some out- outbreaks to occur during training camps. We're talking with Daniel Kaplan. He's a sports business reporter for The Athletic. Daniel, the big news yesterday or over the last 24 hours or so was Tom Pelissero's report from the NFL Network that the Players Association was not exactly thrilled about the league proposing 35% of players' salaries be held in escrow to help manage the cost during this upcoming season. Is that a realistic option for the league? And what was your reaction whenever you saw that news? My reaction is that's the opening gambit. Uh, it's the opening. It's the opening offer. Now the the players don't have to do anything. There's nothing in the CBA that says they have to give back anything in 2020 if no fans uh, are allowed to attend games. Uh, but that will show up in 2021 in the salary cap. So what the league is trying to do is trying to say is let's 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 spread the pain over several years and not have it happen all at once in 2021. It's it, it, you mentioned in the beginning it's going to be a negotiation, perhaps a, a tough one between the union and the the league. And if you're the union, if you take the hit this year or next year or the following year. Remember, the, the the membership of the union turns over quite rapidly. The average length of playing career is three, four years. So if you hold off the pain for two years, you're advantaging the current membership, but disadvantaging future members. Daniel, uh, you talk about how there's not going to be any fans or they, they won't be able to generate generate the revenue of the attendance that they normally would. But yet we hear there are some owners, some cities, some stadiums that are already entertaining, you know, a percentage of fans. What are you hearing out there right now about the possibility of some of these teams, if not even more of them, having fans at the games? There are so many. Every team has plan A, plan B, plan C, plan all the way down uh, from no fans to 5% capacity to 50% capacity uh, to, to even even more. It's all it's all going to depend on what local and national health regulators allow. And so Baltimore came out with a, a plan that I believe have 14 or 15,000 fans in the stadium. Uh, that's going to be up to local health regulators at the time the games come around. And it's possible when I say plan A, plan B, plan C, that different plan, di- different versions are come out at different points of the season. There may be an outbreak in a certain city that limits the capacity from where it was at the beginning of the season or the inverse of that. So, uh, look, here here in New York, we're at the we're at the discretion of the governor who has said no no fans in Buffalo for, for this season. So um, it's going to be different from city to city. I think it's really interesting what you had to say about the cap, Daniel. And we're talking to Daniel Kaplan. He's a sports business reporter for The Athletic. So let's say that the NFL decides to take it all at once and they're just going to have a hard hit cap next season and it's going to go down significantly from what they anticipated because there's no local revenue that those fans in the stands, the gate ticket revenue. 
isn't that a huge problem for the league? Because now you're going to have massive cuts for players. And then whenever they try to resign elsewhere, all of these teams are going to be in the same situation where the cap has gone down so much. They have basically no money to spend on those players. Wouldn't it make more sense to smooth this out over the next few years? And then you're in a situation where you can artificially keep the cap level the way that the NHL appears is going to do it. I, and I think that's where you're 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 going to end up. I mean, the the, the players' union is they're, they're not they understand all of that. And the question the question is, I mean, thirty five percent seems like quite a, a big hit for this year, especially since uh, the 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 players have already agreed to those contracts and are counting on that money. So uh, the in the piece I wrote yesterday, Drew Rosenhaus the. The, the agent who represents more NFL players than any agency uh, suggested keeping it as is now and spreading the pain over many years down the road, uh, especially when new TV contracts come into play. So that, it's going to be a give and take between the the union and the in the league. At the end of the day, the, the the reason the league is concerned is they they just don't want the the gyrations and the salary cap. But in terms of bottom line, in terms of making money, losing money, it's all the same to the owners. Whether they uh, pay it all out this year and have a huge cap hit next year, it's really it's really just uh, ma- managing the football operations. Final question that I have for you, Daniel: Is there a league uh, that of their plans that you've seen thus far? you think has the best opportunity to actually be able to make it through this? You know, I mean, I hate to quote Dr. Fauci, but the virus, you know, about the virus, but, you know, the NBA seemed to have the best plan. And then uh, the epicenter moved to Florida. Uh, You know, it's really, it's really hard to say, but I don't want to say the NFL has a better plan than MLS versus NBA versus Major League Baseball. But I would say that, those leagues that are playing in a bubble uh, seem to have the best uh, idea there because there's just so much more risk to contamination when you don't play in the bubble. And that's what I would worry about with Major League Baseball and the NFL. He's Daniel Kaplan. You can read his work over at The Athletic where he is a sports business reporter. You can follow him on Twitter as well, at Kaplan Sports Biz, B-I-Z. Daniel, we always appreciate the time. Thanks so much for hopping on with us this morning. All right. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's Daniel Kaplan joining us here on Ribs and BK. I think the NHL has set the stage for what we're going to see from all of these leagues. Does Daniel know that hockey exists? (laughs) Unless he's like Max Kellerman that thinks it's not one of the actual sports, which I don't think that's Daniel. He had like two or three opportunities to say it. Poor guy. Forgot all about my hockey. Regardless, I think they've set the stage for what we're going to see in the NBA and what we're going to see in the NFL and any of these capped sports. They based in this CBA that they just came to an agreement on and they're hopefully going to be voting on it at some point in the next 48 hours or so. They suggested that next year's cap is going to stay flat and then it will probably remain so for the next couple of years before eventually they're hopefully able to get that to return back up. It's artificially going to stay Mm -hmm. flat and they'll make it up over time with the revenues that go above that. So with the NFL, I expect something very similar. Because if you have a situation where, let's say they're losing 30% of their revenues from the gate, right? This is similar to what Major League Baseball tried to tell us. It was 40% or whatever. Well, then your cap's going to go down like $50 million this year. There's not a single team in the NFL that could figure out how to make its way through next season if that were the case. Like, let's say the Chiefs, for instance. That's basically Patrick Mahomes' deal. 
and you just have to eliminate it from the cap next year. There's no way you could do that. So I fully anticipate that's going to be the way forward. But that's also going to be some of the negotiations that have to take place this upcoming year. There is some breaking news in the NFL with some of their protocols for what it's going to look like for health and safety. I want to get Jamie's reaction to those. We'll do that on the other side. Plus, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. It's all coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. That's former Blues superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Jamie, let's start with this because it's coming out of the NFL right now. Tom Pelissero of NFL Network says teams will be forbidden from post-game interactions within six feet of each other and jersey exchanges between players prohibited for the 2020 NFL season. Okay, wait. So the pl- <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to digest this here. Hang on. So the players after a game mm-hmm. can't come within six feet of their own teammates or the other team. Uh, but uh, the other team, like the the post game jersey exchange, is typically right yeah, after yeah. the game. Like yeah. say the Chiefs and the Texans played, right? And Deshaun Watson goes up to Patrick Mahomes yeah, and they yeah, switch yeah, each yeah. other's jersey, sign them for each other, and all that. So that's that not allowed. Huddle. Okay, so not allowed. Um. <sighs> I guess you're not allowed to tackle the guy either during the nope, game nope, because there's a six foot rule. Nope. Uh, oh. This is this just in from again, uh, Tom Pelissero. They, they are still going to be playing football this year. So they're going to play football, which yep. we know is tackling and there's a lot of collisions and they're in each other's face, a pileup of like six, seven guys at a time. Yeah. But you can't say hi to him after the game unless you're six feet away. Correct. Wow, that's that's a good one. Ooh. NFL, you got your ish together. We also have this from Ian Rappaport as a follow-up. Other game day protocols. Coaches and players will not be required to wear face masks on the sidelines. Everyone else in the bench area does have to wear a mask. But the coaches, most of whom are over the age of 50, mm-hmm. good to go. No need to wear a mask. Even though all of you that call plays put a piece of paper in front of your face every single time that you call a play because you don't want anybody to see the play that you're calling. Yeah, Why not is... just wear the mask? Like, this just seems so yeah. simple. Uh, look, at guys, this is... We, we've talked about this, right? Like, every league so far, they've done a great job of diving into this, creating policies. But when you get down to it, especially football, hockey, and basketball, where you're in close quarters with guys all the time. Battle uh, Basketball, you're really battling, you know, sweaty shoulder oh, yeah. on sweaty shoulder, We're right in each other's mouth. faces. And football, we know how that works. Hockey, same thing. But then you implement these dumb things on the side of it. It's like, why are you doing this? I, the population is smarter than what you're giving them right now. I don't know. This is insanity. It is. Sometimes I read stuff that these leagues are putting out there, and it's just like, what What are you doing? How is this what you can't, like, Somebody dozens got paid to of do that. brilliant people <laughs> went into a room, and what they came out with was, after the games, definitely don't get within six feet of each other. After for three hours, you've been beating the hell out of each other, mm-hmm. In basically hand-to-hand combat. Mm-hmm. After the game, wow. though, no, can't have that jersey. Go ahead and ship it to one another. We all know that jerseys hold more germs than the actual human being. 
That's why they're doing it. They're trying to protect him. Well, at least they're not going to be touching those jerseys yeah. during the game. Yeah. So I'm sure everything's going to be perfectly yeah, fine. Yeah, exactly. 6578 Eric is their comfort service text line for questions and answers. This one comes from the 314. Hey, guys, don't you think it's a bigger year for John Mosaylock than it is for Mike Schilt? Mo put this team together, not Schilt. He can only do so much. Mo is the one who whines each year about it mattering, and yet they pay, play the payroll politics and don't put their best lineup together. So I guess the question, simply put, Bigger year for Mo or for Schilt, in your opinion? Schilt, by far. Like Mo, Mo put together a good team. Now, and and look, if there's a 162 game season, maybe you start looking back at your baseball ops guy, and you're like, eh, we probably should have got a different player here, a different player there. Maybe we should have made a trade. I'm not sure. 60 game season, everything. And this is just my opinion. Everything falls on Mike Schilt. He's been provided with a pretty good team. Okay, the Cardinals have a overall have a pretty good team they're going to play in a really good division friendly to the cardinals so yes the pressure for me is on mike schilt to get the most out of this team honestly it's this is difficult because you have to do one or the other i want to say neither because i don't think anybody's under any pressure with the cardinals but if one was it would be you don't believe that i do though from the cardinals perspective not from a fan perspective from a cardinals perspective of like losing their jobs there's not pressure on anybody from a fan's perspective i would say there's more pressure on mo because people saw what mike schilt did last year with this team People saw what Mike Schilt did in the year that Mike Matheny was fired. They know Mike Schilt can manage. They continue to question if John Mosellock can put together a championship caliber roster. Um, you know, they've wanted to see a legit outfielder. They've wanted to see the Mo trade for a third baseman. They see failures more than they see success for John Mosellock. So I think the pressure on a 60 game season where you didn't do much in the offseason is on Mo before it's on Mike Schill. I think that's a good way to look at it. I would say the way that I would phrase it for myself would be I think Alex is right in terms of the pressure for the fan base is on Mo. I do think among major league managers, though, you're going to be hard pressed to find many that have more significant decisions to make on a day to day basis than Mike Schiltz, because every day he's got to decide what am I doing at third base with Tommy Edmond versus Matt Carpenter, right? Every day he's got to decide in left field. What am I doing with Tyler O'Neill or Harrison Bader and center gets thrown into this mix? Hell, even for Dexter Fowler, all of the outfield spots. What am I doing out there? Who's going to be my DH every day? What am I doing with my bullpen management? Who's going to be the guy that's closing for me? The number of options on this team is a positive because you've got a lot of them. That's good. There's a lot of teams that would kill for the options that the Cardinals have. The trouble comes in, though, because now you're going to have a lot of decisions to make. It is not a here's my lineup. It's going to be the same thing every day for the Cardinals. It's not what it's going to look like this season. It's going to change consistently. And that is where the pressure gets on Mike Schilt to make those decisions on a day to day basis. It's his job. That is literally his job description. But it's more difficult for this team than it is for most rosters across Major League Baseball. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Hey, Jamie, how about this? According to Pat Forty of, uh, I believe he's with Yahoo Sports, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the ACC will not have any athletic competitions prior to September 1st. That will affect several fall sports that have games, matches, or meets scheduled for late August, but it will not affect football. 
assuming, of course, that we have sports by September 1st. Do you have any concern at this point for the Power Five conferences that they won't be able to start on time for football? Yeah, um, yeah. Look, at I think that there, we talked about earlier in the crossover, right, with Danny Mack, the SEC. They're going to power through this now. Do they start on time? I don't know. That's I think that's debatable. I think that we might see some fluctuation in their start time and and things like that. But they're gonna they're gonna go for it. They have to. These colleges they they exist because of the money that's provided by their athletic programs and specifically NCAA football that generates a ton of money. Yes, NCAA basketball as well for certain schools, but yeah, this NCAA football thing, it's going to happen for sure. Is it going to be delayed by a little bit? I don't know. I guess as Kaplan said earlier and Dr. Fauci said, the virus (laughs) is probably going to dictate that. Where are you going with Alex? Yeah. You you get postponed? Yeah, I I think Kaplan nailed it on the head. Like, uh, we can say yes or no, it's going to happen, but the virus is going to dictate all this. College football can sit there and say until they're blue in the face, we're going to play. We're going to put fans in the stands. But that all dictates on what the... The, the the city government dictates that all do, uh, dictates kind of what the commissioner of the NCAA dictates and if this virus skyrockets teams can say we're going to play no matter what but if the city government said no you're not it's going to shut it down pretty quick one thing people need to keep in the back of their minds is the possibility of only playing conference games this year not going to be stunned if we get to August maybe early September when the timeline is that they're talking about here and we hear something from these individual conferences that says, listen, the NCAA can't dictate what each of these conferences do in terms of the testing protocols, in terms of what their game day operations are. That is within individual conferences. And so instead of trying to make all of this work with the travel and some of these lower level leagues and the non-con games having to travel and figure out what they're going to do in terms of are they going to play or not? Instead of having all of those questions to answer, we're just going to keep it within the individual conferences. And then for the postseason, we'll figure that out when it comes. We'll see what that looks like. But I wouldn't be surprised if the SEC only plays SEC games this year. The Pac-12 only plays Pac-12 games this year and so on and so forth. I could see each league having a 10 game regular season Mm -hmm. that is shifted accordingly based on only playing within their leagues. I I think that's something we should Five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. One more question for you guys. Have you seen the freaking forecast for next week? Weather? No. Did you oh. have to clarify weather? Well, he, he looks confused, <laughs> so I wanted to make sure. That well, I, I thought he was going to come at it hard with us, like right away. And I'm like waiting, and he stares at me, and I'm like, oh, we're having one of those moments. <laughs> it's supposed to be 103 degrees next Tuesday oh, in terms of the wait. heat index. 105 degrees on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Ferrario's getting out of here. So happy I am getting the hell out of here. You just ruined my week, dude. I know. I've been inside hockey arenas, and then we come here, and then I go help my daughter's softball team. Last night we had a soccer practice. I'm like, I'm ready to melt. (laughs) Do you know how the heat index, by the way? Is configured. Like, do you know how that comes together? Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. He's talking down to us again. No, I, I learned this literally yesterday and from I, our guy Steve Templeton. And with now KMOV. we go to the weather decks with weather desk with Brandon <laughs> Kylie. Here we go. It's not even in the sun. No, it's no. from a shaded area. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
So the heat index is fake. Like when you're actually out in the sun, it's probably closer to 110 degrees. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All this that time. That gives you a bit of a false reading. They try to take it from a shaded area to where you get what the lowest it could possibly be. Right. Possibly be because if they took it from a, an area with a lot, like that's an inflated number. So right. if you're just outside, yeah, but that's what everybody like when you're outside, not under shade. Yeah, but I guess it, uh, you're under the assumption that the sun's glaring down on you, so it's yeah. going to be hot no matter what. Like in the fall, when the sun's out, it's still hot if you're standing in the sun. But they're also dictating with the humidity as well. That's why they do the shade so they can put the temperature in there with yeah. the humidity range. I need another a- added element to this. I need to know what it is in the shade and what it is in the sun. <laughs> you need the shade <laughs> temp we and the need sun another temp. measurement. Go stand in the sun and <laughs> yeah. just figure it out. Go lock Steve yourself Templeton, in the car. We need you to get on this. We need Seriously. one more measurement from you, sir. That's Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's liven things up a little bit. Pro Football Hall of Famer Warren Moon's going to join us next to talk about Patrick Mahomes. And God, just how good is that quarterback? We'll talk it over with Warren Moon next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Alongside former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Very happy to go out to the Browning and Crouppen celebrity line. Joined by Pro Football Hall of Famer, nine-time Pro Bowler, two-time NFL passing yards leader, and Jamie's favorite statistic, five-time Grey Cup champion Warren Moon joining us here on Ribs and BK. Warren, thanks so much for the time today. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, guys. How are you today? Doing very well. So let's start with this. You see the news the other day. Patrick Mahomes is a $500 million man. What was your initial reaction? Uh, He deserves every penny of it. Uh, I think any athlete who can get whatever he can um, should go ahead and try and and do that. And and Patrick has shown on his first two or three years in the league what his value is to the Kansas City Chiefs, being an MVP in his first season as a a whole starter, and then last year taking his team to a Super Bowl and winning it and being MVP. So he's being paid for that, but he's also being paid on what they think he can do in the future. And and if he's still improving as a 24-year-old, the sky's the limit for this kid so I think it was a great deal for the Chiefs uh, because they tie up uh, one of the uh, great talents in this league that we've seen uh, for a long time and I think it's great for Patrick because it gives him the type of security that he was looking for and it also helps to be able to still um, put good talent around him with with the way the, the, the contract is structured you can still put good talent around him because he doesn't break the bank as far as uh, taking all the salary cap. It was really salary cap friendly for the football team. Yeah, Warren, that's kind of where I wanted to go with this was, you know, for well, for at least the last couple of years, maybe handful of years, everybody talked about Tom Brady taking team-friendly deals in order to provide uh, salary cap room for the Patriots to try and build a team around him, which they, well, I mean, they successfully did that. Now, you look at Patrick Mahomes, and his number goes up substantially two years from now. After two seasons, he goes up substantially. Do you really think that they're going to be able to provide weapons for him around to make them successful or build the defense up enough? I guess my question is, will his high salary or the contract that he signed, will that affect the Chiefs' potential of winning consistently? You know, that, that all remains to be seen because uh, we don't know what the salary cap is going to do. We're, you're hoping that the salary cap will continue to go up as well. It might not go up this next year because of uh, the, the way the season might turn out with no fans. So 
so the uh, the income that they bring in probably won't be what they're looking for. But uh, the year after that, I'm sure it'll rebound, and, and then the salary cap will start rising again. So about the time his contract goes into play, hopefully that salary cap will improve maybe another $15, 20000000 million by then, and then that will allow them to keep some guys. And you got to remember, in the next couple of years, this this contract doesn't go into play, so they've got a, a couple of more year window, you know, to win a couple of more championships if they can keep the same group together. And then after that, you're probably going to start seeing some of those guys being released anyway because they're getting up in years. Maybe a, a Travis Kelsey who's 30 years old now, maybe he's not the guy that they're looking for, you know, two or three years from now. The same thing with uh, Honey Badger; he's a 30 year old guy. 30 year old guy. So they're going to start looking to, to bring in younger players as well that are are, are less salary. Uh, players and, and that's what they do a great job of right now. They they do a great job of bringing in young players, developing those players, and then they're ready to step in when it's time. Warren, you started your professional career in the NFL in 1984 with the Houston Oilers. You've seen 40 plus years of professional football. What have you seen about Patrick Mahomes in his first two years as a full-time starter that makes him unique? When Can you think of anybody else in the back of your mind that you would compare what we've seen the first two years of Patrick Mahomes' career to? Probably a Dan Marino, but uh, without the mobility. You know, Dan Marino didn't have that mobility, but as far as a passer, I mean, nobody could pass the ball like he did when he first came into the league. I think he threw 48 touchdown passes the first year that he started and uh, took his team to a Super Bowl, and uh, he was slinging it all over the place. And he was a guy that they didn't start uh, – the first part of his rookie year, and then all of a sudden they they let him go, and and he took off. So he'd be the guy that I would compare to the most as far as coming into the league and just really making a huge impact with with uh, his ability only. Uh, you know, we've seen other young quarterbacks come in the league like Ben Roethlisberger and people like that, and take their teams to to Super Bowls, but they weren't the they weren't the main reason why. Dan Marino was the main reason why the Miami Dolphins went to the Super Bowl because he was throwing the ball all over the place. Now, Warren Luck, being a former quarterback and and Hall of Fame quarterback at that uh, you played up you got up there in years you had a f- fantastic career so my question is geared towards maybe some of the old veterans that are still around and uh, what kind of an impact do you think uh, Drew, Pre- Drew Brees will have this year at his age uh, do you think he can still bring it and, and be that guy for the Saints and Tom Brady you got to talk about him a little bit and what can he bring to the Buccaneers and does he still have gas left in the tank to do some damage with them yeah, I think both of those guys do. You you watch the way they played last year. Now, Tom didn't have one of his greatest seasons, but I don't think he had the greatest weapons around him as well. But uh, Drew Brees um, really played well last year, and uh, he had an injury uh, last year that kind of hampered him a little bit, so he missed some games. But I think that really helped him uh, at the end of the season because he seemed to be a little bit fresher. And, and I think as a, an older player, and, and I played until I was 44, that's the thing that you worry about later into the season. You start to wear down a little bit just because uh, you are older and your legs aren't as fresh, say, in week 12, 13, 14, 15, going into the last part of the season. So you have to really be conscious of how you take care of your body, how many reps you're getting in practice, uh, making sure you're getting your good rest throughout the week so you're fresh when it comes game time because that's where I I tended to see uh, the the drop-off in my abilities was later in the season. And uh, when when your legs aren't there as a quarterback, your legs are more important than your arm. Most people think, oh, he's got a strong arm. No, your legs, if your legs are up under you and your legs are strong, you're going to throw the football with good velocity. 
Pro Football Hall of Famer Warren Moon joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. So that's the older quarterbacks in the league right now, Warren. I want to ask you about the younger guys in the league. You've got a good one out in Seattle. There's certainly one that we've been talking about in Kansas City. Outside of Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes, if I was to say, Warren Moon, you can have any other quarterback in the league for the next decade. Who would you be picking? Not Patrick Mahomes, not Russell Wilson, but any other guy in the league for the next decade. Man, you know, this league right now is in really good shape quarterback-wise. There's a lot of good young quarterbacks in the league, and, and there's a, a lot of them that you could pick from. But I'd probably have to go with Lamar Jackson right now just because, you know, he's 23 years old. He's already won an MVP in the league, um, and he's only going to get better. He's only going to get better as a passer. And the only thing that, that concerns me a little bit about him is, is his longevity because he does run the football a lot. But I think as he becomes a better passer, he won't uh, have to run the football ball as much and he'll be able to hurt you a little bit more with his arm and even though he you know he hurt people this year with his arm he threw for 4,000 yards and but he also ran for over 1,200 so he would be the guy I would think uh, I would I would go with next after those two guys but again there's so many other good young quarterbacks in the league whether it's you know Dak Prescott is coming off of a 4,900 yard season uh, you look at uh uh, uh Kid Josh Allen in, in Buffalo, he, he's starting to you know ascend. I mean, there's so many good young quarterbacks in this league that there's a lot of different ways you can go. I love uh, Deshaun Watson in Houston. He's another guy that I would I would really put high up on that list because of what he's been able to do in such a short period of time there in Houston. And we saw we saw how he played in college in, in big time games, and we've seen how he's played here in the NFL. So there's a lot of good young quarterbacks in this league. Warren, I'm going to shift gears on you here just a little bit because uh, I remember you as an Edmonton Eskimo. I was a young kid growing up in Ottawa watching uh, your team pretty much run a train over the entire league for a long time. Uh, But Edmonton, I'm curious to get your thoughts and your feelings on the city of Edmonton because the NHL, as we know now, is going to be using Edmonton as a hub city to get through the rest of the playoffs and hopefully crown a Stanley Cup champion. You spent a lot of time in Edmonton. You know Edmonton this time of year. What can we look forward to seeing out of Edmonton as a city? And why do you think that that was a good pick by the NHL? First of all, it's a great hockey city. Um, they they love their their hockey up there. I mean, just like they do all over Canada. But you got to remember, that there was a period there when Wayne Gretzky was there. Right after we were winning our Grey Cups, so I think they won you know four or five Stanley Cups. So this is a, a team that uh, in a city that knows about hockey. They love their hockey players. I think they'll do a great job of being ambassadors for the league uh, as far as welcoming uh, whatever teams come into that city. And, and I think they'll do a good job of of isolating the players and keeping them away from from what they need to stay away from as far as the COVID virus and the things that are out there. So Edmonton's a good place. It's really grown a lot since I've been there, no question about it. Uh, there's, there's you know good restaurants around the city. There's there's uh, a lot of entertainment and different things for the players to do. But, but I don't know how much of that they're going to be allowed to do because if they're going to try and keep them in some type of bubble as well, you, you don't want those guys venturing all over town. But, but like I said, Edmonton is a good hockey city, and I think they have enough hockey facilities around the, the city to uh, take care of all the teams that are going to be there. Final question that I have for you, Warren. We're talking to the, for, the Pro Football Hall of Famer, Warren Moon, here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. You were the first black quarterback elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and you look around the league right now, you 
you've got Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray. I mean, it is a the next generation is full of quarterbacks, black quarterbacks that could follow in your footsteps. What is it like for you to be able to watch this next generation develop the way that they have thus far and what you hope that they can become moving forward, Warren? You know, it's one of the things I'm most uh, proud of that that uh, myself, uh, Doug Williams, who won a Super Bowl in 1988, and, and Randall Cunningham, the way he played during the same time that I did, I think we were the ones that kind of changed the the uh, the focus of what people thought of African American quarterbacks, and, and kind of got rid of some of those stigmas and those stereotypes that the African Americans could not play the game at a very high level. So uh, that's what makes me proud that we've been able to give more opportunities to these younger guys and let them get a chance to see what they, show what they can do on the field, and you, and you see what they're doing. They're they're doing it at a very very high level, uh, and one of these guys is probably going to be, if not one, more than more. Than and one of these guys are going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. So that's something I'm very proud of. One of the most proudest things that um, that I'm proud of playing the game is that I was able to help make change and make change for guys that that uh, didn't weren't necessarily getting the opportunities back in the 80s and, and 70s and 80s when I was playing, but now they're getting many opportunities and they're taking advantage of them. Well, we enjoyed the hell out of watching you, Warren, and we are enjoying watching all of these guys doing it right now as well. He's Warren Moon. He's a pro football Hall of famer joined us here on ribs and bk on 101 espn we always appreciate the time warren thanks so much for hopping on with us today all right guys thanks for having me and uh, hopefully we'll talk down the road absolutely we'll talk to you soon that's warren moon joining us here on ribs and bk it's 12 18 your time check brought to you by clarkson jewelers an officially licensed rolex jeweler how about that jamie rivers said that the kansas city chiefs are still going to be able to build around patrick mahomes despite his cap hit. Well, he didn't exactly say that he said <laughs> the next couple of years they have a really good opportunity no and no then- no 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 <laughs> then i'll call him back i will you know i'll call him back now then he did say that uh hopefully the salary cap rises and that some of their other players or older players may move on or move out of the league that doesn't mean that they're going to be competitive right away he's just mathematically saying that the pieces kind of fit as of right now for what it's worth jamie i looked this up the other day just for you because i knew you would think that this was particularly (laughs) interesting if you look at patrick mahomes contract over the next few years the first time that it is really exploding is not until the year 2027 that's when he's going to count for 60 million dollars on the cap now that's a that's a ton of money i saw that too yesterday and i wasn't going to bring it up to you because i knew you'd just be like so happy about it $40 $40 million in 2023, and basically all the way through 2026, that's what it is. Ben Roethlisberger accounts for $40 million against the cap next year. Yeah, Ben Roethlisberger, at this point in his career, is not the same quality of quarterback as Patrick Mahomes. So I don't think they're going to hit that point that you're talking about until about 2027. And at that point, you know, like... Who knows? I can right? live with it, right? And yeah. we'll see what the cap looks like then. Maybe it's $300 million, and that ends up looking like a steal at that point as well. So there's a lot of time between now and then, but hugely appreciative of Warren Moon for joining us here today. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 101 ESPN. Everyone seems to agree, Jamie. There are two X factors, just two, for the Cardinals in 2020. We'll tell you who they are coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.
You know, it's amazing how often, you know, how rarely we talk about him, but the guy, I mean, the best hitter is Paul Goldschmidt. The best player on this team, without a doubt, I think, is Paul Goldschmidt. And we have seen some slippage in some of his important numbers, if you look at it, over the last two or three years. Just seeing whether he can maybe take a stride forward is absolutely crucial for this team. So that was Mark Saxon earlier today. He joined Carriker and Smallman right here on 101 ESPN. You can check out the full interview on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. With former Blue superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. In the last 48 hours, I have now heard Mark Saxon talking about Paul Goldschmidt as an X-factor for the Cardinals. I've heard Danny Mack talk about how Matt Carpenter could be the X-factor for the Cardinals. And I feel like those are the two names that I've heard most often over the course of these last few months as guys of, hey, if the Cardinals offense is going to turn it around, it's not Dylan Carlson, it's not Harrison Bader, it's not Dexter Fowler. It's the two guys that we've seen do it before at MVP types of levels. It's Matt Carpenter and it's Paul Goldschmidt. And so I want to go down a hypothetical lane with you guys for a second, if you will allow me to do so. (sighs) All right. (laughs) What changes in your expectations for the Cardinals this year, if they're right? If they're absolutely correct and Danny Mac is right and Matt Carpenter's going to have a bounce back season, let's say he returns to form. He is vintage Matt Carpenter this year. And we see the Paul Goldschmidt that we all anticipated the Cardinals had traded for and that they believed they were getting whenever they gave him the contract. If those two things are true for this season, how much, Jamie, does that change your expectations for the Cardinals this season? Well, to begin with, my expectations were set pretty high. They really were. Um, you know, I think I, what I'd say, I predicted like 10th best team in the league and certainly have a chance the easiest division. So my expectations were were probably more elevated than they should have been, probably more like a fan expectation than actually someone who knows what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> but if Matt Carpenter can swing the bat like he has in the past, get back to one of those seasons where he was the man and Goldie can just go back to normal, basically, guys, that changes everything. It really does. Like, if, of course, more hypotheticals. Tyler O'Neill, does he make contact? Lane Thomas, Dylan Carlson, what are their impact? When you put together the run prevention that the Cardinals are able to put out there on the field, they're pitching. Now you add a couple of big bats that you didn't have at all. Like, literally, Matt Carpenter's bat was almost invisible last year. He starts connecting. He starts doing what he can do best. Guys, I'm telling you right now, that, to me, would equal an opportunity at a a World Series season for the Cardinals. The two difference makers, without question, are Matt Carpenter and Paul DeYoung, what they can offer to this team. Yes, Paul Goldschmidt is an X-factor, but you expect that out of Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt was very dependable last year. He wasn't his best, but he was very... This is weird. I don't mean to cut you off, but I feel weird saying that still because Goldie still had a pretty good season. He had a great season. He had a good one. I I will not go to great because his his 821 OPS was the worst of his career since he's become a starter. It it was a a nice season, but great for the Cardinals. Yeah, it was the it best was Marcelo for the Zuna type of a year, and most Cardinals fans would not accept that from Marcelo Zuna. So I'm not going to accept it from uh, Paul oh, Goldschmidt. God. Enough out of you. Jeez. Finish, Alex. He's not a LeBron James, so why? Why do we worry about it? No, Maybe but- it's Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> 
<laughs> Alex, no, finish but, your thought. Yes, but look, there's the, the Goldschmidt's an X factor, but the two impactful players are Carpenter and DeYoung because when you think about it, those guys can take this offense from a subpar offense that was last year to an offense that is elite when it comes to the way that the pitching staff works. So to have those two bats, which I'm on board with Dan McLaughlin, I'm on board with Mark Saxon. I do think Matt Carpenter can have a rebound. He hit rock bottom last year. That was the worst season we saw from Matt Carpenter. He's better than that. He did not forget how to hit. So I'm looking forward to that. Okay, so a text, a texter here brings up a great point. Said in Matt Carpenter's very best years, he was never an RBI guy. For some reason, he cannot hit with runners in scoring position. So let's backwards. Let's go back a little bit here. We talked about Colton Wong going to be your leadoff guy. This, that, the other. If Matt Carpenter goes back to Matt Carpenter, wouldn't you put him back in the leadoff if that's true? What yeah, our texter's saying, and he's not a run driver. You know things like that. He like, he gets on base. Wouldn't he automatically go right back into his leadoff position? I'd bat him second. I would bat him too. I think right now, if you're looking at the best version of what the Cardinals lineup can be, like if we're if, again staying in this hypothetical lane of saying it's vintage Carp, it's it's vintage Goldie, and I, I don't want to underestimate this. I, I just disagree with you, Alex. I, I think Paul Goldschmidt, what we saw last year, is a, f- a fine, solid player. What I hope that we see this year is a potential MVP type of a candidate because that's what he had been with the D-backs. And let's not underestimate what. what? With the D-backs. Oh. I heard D-backs. We, we, let's not underestimate what that would mean for the lineup. That's what they've been looking for for nearly a decade now, is that guy to insert in the middle of your lineup. You've got Colton Wong at the top, vintage Carpenter, vintage Goldie, and then DeYoung, who you talked about, and I, I agree with you, he can be a game changer for this lineup. And then let me dream a little bit here. You put Dylan Carlson fifth. Well, that's a one through five that can go up against just about You're anybody really in the National down League. On the fantasy league here, aren't you? This sounds great to <laughs> me. <laughs> see, see, I see, I see it differently. I see if Matt Carpenter's prime, Matt Carpenter, he is the leadoff. He's the guy who can hit you solo home runs. He's a guy who can get on base for you. If he's changed his batting approach, this is a guy who can hit doubles like he did the year that he broke Stan Musial's single season record. Ooh. So I'd have a Matt Carpenter in your leadoff spot if that's the comfort level, and I'd put Colton Wong at second base for the time being. I. I think the second spot hitter is a Dylan Carlson prime spot because he's a switch hitter. He's an on-base guy. He has some power. You play the number two position as one of your best overall hitters. And if Carlson can be the Pujols he's been compared to, that's prime real estate for him. From the 314, no one can overcome father time. Carpenter won't be what he was three years ago. Quit it, please. Okay, fair enough. I mean, the texter, you're not wrong at all uh, on this. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> but, but this is our game. It's make-believe. This is We're playing game. it, and we make the rules as we go. So as of right now, Father Time hasn't gotten a hold of Carpenter, and we're expecting him to go back to what he was three years ago. Yeah. If that doesn't happen, then it is what it is. But, yeah, no, I agree. He's getting older. But I still think that if he gets back to at least getting into a rhythm, he doesn't have to be what he was three years ago. Just get back into a rhythm of getting on base, getting out there, like be half as good almost as you were three years ago. And that'll be a bonus. He's he's one of the best Cardinals hitters at being able to spot where the pitch is coming to be able to get on base with a walk or to take the strike. The problem was he was trying to be a power hitter. If he can just go back to just being a contact hitter, he's going to be very useful for your team. I think he might be a huge beneficiary of the designated hitter too. Think about every year and hell, the 60 game season as well. 
there's typically a time around mid-July where you get that, ah, my back. My back's starting oh, to gosh. act up a little bit. And yeah. the explanation that we normally receive is he's overworked. The guy just works too hard. Like the biggest complaint about Matt Carpenter in St. Louis is, man, that dude just works too hard. Well, yeah, he's off making salsa. Then I saw a cereal out there. I mean, this guy is really working hard out there. If you're going through a 60 game season and he's getting consistent at bats as a DH, maybe not every day, but consistently, right? Maybe it's two out of three or at least one out of three that he's hitting uh, as a DH instead of being in the field. That's days off of his feet more often than not. And that could help him as well if he can just focus. Focus on the hitting side of things instead of having to deal with the defense side as as much. And you've got Tommy Edmond to deal with that side of things, a younger guy that's coming in and hopefully an up and comer for you. I think that could be really significant for them. So I know we're in fantasy land right now. Yep. And we're just trying to look at this through the hypothetical lens of everything's going to be great for the Cardinals. But there is at least some reason to believe there is reason to be optimistic that there is a for the Cardinals this year. And I don't think we've talked quite enough about it. Okay, question for both of you here. And it's a it's a great challenge, we'll call it, from our text line, 65780, from the 314. I propose a challenge. Can you all talk about the Cardinals offense without using the word if? And I understand the question, right? Like, yeah, we're who's, not, the, who's the certainty in the lineup, basically, th- there is you the go. question. What, who can you put money on knowing, boom, this guy here, I know he's going to be good offensively. I feel pretty good about Yadier Molina. I think I know what I'm getting there. I think I know what I'm getting more often than not from Paul DeYoung. And that's probably the list. Really? Those two. That I feel like I know what I'm getting. Because Paul Goldschmidt, you know you're getting something good, but the question is, is it going to be good or is it going to be really great? I don't, I'm my, I'm going with Goldie yeah, on I was, that one. I was going to say. Mean, even his really good is still like probably going to be the best that the Cardinals have. Right. We, I mean, we, we rank these permanent marker, pen, pencil. Permanent marker for me is Paul Goldschmidt. He's going to be in the lineup every day. I want to I want to clarify this. Because but you're, I'm not, we're talking offense. Right. We're talking about what you can expect. Like, I think I know exactly what I'm getting out of Yadier Molina. Like, within a very slim range. Yeah. He's going to be somewhere around a 270 hitter. He's going to get on base about 30 to 32% of the time. Like, there's a very small range of what he's going to be this year. He's going to be a slightly above average league hitter. That That's kind of what you expect. From him every season. Same thing for Paul DeYoung. I think he's going to hit, if it was 162 games, 25 to 30 home runs, and he's going to be a really nice power hitter that's going to strike out more than you'd want. I think I know exactly what those guys are. Paul Goldschmidt, I think, is going to be good, but the range of outcomes is a little wider for him. That's yeah. kind of where I'm coming uh, from. Goldschmidt, DeYoung, and, and even Molina. If we're going to use the argument of father time catching up with Carpenter, we don't know with Yadi or Molina in terms of father time. So for me, it's Goldschmidt and DeYoung that I'm confident in. Who would you go with on that list? Uh, for for my sure bets, like I'm placing money down, I got Goldie for sure, um, and yeah, I got Colton Wong. It's a good one, honestly. I just last year, the way his season went and how dependable he became for the Cardinals. Never mind his defensive ability, and I know he's not tearing the cover off the ball every time. So before you light me up on the text line, <laughs> I'm just saying I know what I'm getting there, and if that's what he's going to provide, I'm good with that. My only concern with him is he's been an every other year guy where in 2016, he hit 240 the following season, 285. 
The next year he hit 250 and the next year he hit 285. So is it an every other year thing or can he actually sustain it this time around? I believe he can sustain it. I'm a Colton Wong fan. I think he's a really good player and I think he's going to be able to sustain what he did last year. But I just want to see it one more season before I say I, I know for sure what I'm getting out of him. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's talk with Joey Vitale coming up next on 101 ESPN. Back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blues superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. It's my favorite time of the week. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Joined by Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Joey, how you doing today, buddy? BK, what's going on, boys? I tell you what, I was having a great morning. Well, I tell you, this happens to me once a month. Uh, I understand what the women go through once a month, but what? us men, we get that credit card bill. Once oh, a month. yeah. Boy, boy. I thought that piece of plastic just, you know, you just swipe it and you get whatever you want, but now it comes up and haunts you every now and then. <laughs> Joey, that's a great, a great take, okay? And let's expand on that because I remember when I started getting my first paychecks in the NHL and – I was like, this is great. And, you know, the banks are giving you credit cards. Like, you didn't even ask for it. They're like, hey, here's a platinum card. Just go enjoy yourself, you know. And then I remember using it and not fully understanding just, you know, how big the kick in the balls was going to be at the end of each month and then the interest that goes on top of it. You ever have that almost out-of-body experience to where you thought you had all this money, but all of it was just kind of make-believe because you owe the credit card so much and the interest? Oh, I'm telling you, man, it uh, it creeps up in a hurry. And, and this is a serious thing uh, for, for I think, the casual listener and, and the casual fan to understand with these athletes. And I know it sounds crazy. How does so-and-so go bankrupt after playing 15 years in the NFL or so-and-so go bankrupt paying 20 years in the show? I'm telling you guys, it's, it, it is that weird thing where you think it's so much. Or you see that number, okay, Mahomes, um, whatever you sign for, $500 million. But is it really $500 million? Not even close. You know, you look at, you look at um, for example, Austin Matthews' signing bonus. What was that coming in, like, oh, just under $16 million. Is it $16 million? Yeah, but not really. You know, you, you figure taxes, you figure agencies, uh, you figure, you know, keeping up with the Joneses or the guys around you. I mean, it's, uh, it does kind of creep up and catch up, but I know certainly I had one of those moments. The good news for the players uh, this year, which we just kind of found out, I saw Bob McKenzie reported on it. He's kind of given details. The new CBA talked to a couple guys about it yesterday as well. Uh, the league seems to be taking great care of the players here through playoff bonuses. I think the bonuses went up from $16 million to $32 million for this upcoming playoff here in August. And I think it said if you lose in the first round, get this, guys. If you lose in the first round, the team, each player gets 20 G. And if you win the cup, you get just shy of a quarter of a million dollars. So I think the owners, again, I think they were smart. I think they understood what these players, what kind of incentive, and they need to persuade these guys to get back. And not, not so great of times. And how do you do that? You get out your checkbooks. And I think they did a good job. And it's going to be a great incentive for the players uh, to, again, get back to what we got to do and get back to work here in August. We're talking with Joey Vitale. He's a Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Joey, I want to go back to this credit card situation because sure. I am currently a single man, although, well, not single. I have a girlfriend. You may but want to word that differently. I, I want to clarify here. I am not a married man. Um, and when you get married, a lot of people go the joint account route, right? They, they decide we're going to merge these two accounts and we're going that direction. Is this something that I need to be afraid of, Joey Vitale? 
You know, that's a great question. I, I think you should just defer to your wife on everything. Uh, I think, see, I think the wives to me, they, my wife always wanted to merge, right? Because then it just looks like one lump sum at the end of the month where you see X amount of dollars, like, oh my gosh. And then instead of, you know, uh, well, this is mine, this is yours. Cause no, no, no guy wants to go through the details of sitting down and actually going through what they spent. And the women know this, but if you have separate ones, then you'll see, you'll see, you know, Jessica's got this and Randy's got that. And Randy will have probably an eighth of what Jessica has. And that's just, it's going to lead into a lot of more arguments and fights and no one has time for that. So I think for both people, for the sanity and peace of the, the marriage, I think you should just merge them and just, just shut up and be happy, I guess is all I have to say. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that one. Just uh, pick the hill that you're going to die on, and, and but don't pick that hill, in my opinion. The nice thing for me is she's the breadwinner in the group, and so, I mean, she's also the bigger spender out of the two of us, but... Oh, shots fired. Wow, Damn. shots fired on Not that enough one. to make up the difference between mm-hmm. the two of those things, so it ends up being A-OK for me. I tell you what, sometimes, BK, you remind me of Donald Trump. You just, like, you self-implode. The more you talk, you just, you just, you just destroy yourself. And I, listen, I, I, I'm okay with Trump. I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about Trump. But I just, the more he talks, the more he just destructs. I can see Joe Biden. You know, everyone's probably, you know, where's, like, where's Joe Biden? Where's Joe Biden? Joe Biden's like, I'm good. I'm good in my hotel room. I'm going to hang out for another three months. And I, this guy just keep talking. BK, you remind me of that a lot. <laughs> Right. I don't even know how to react to that. Go ahead, Jamie. Joey, <laughs> speaking of self-imploding, okay, uh, BK and I were talking a little bit earlier on the show about how teams and they're getting back to training camp, getting back to the city, how tough it could be on a locker room if there's an irresponsible player or two that get out there and somehow, you know, get COVID-19 and drag it back to the team. So I guess my question is this to you, the Blues – no secret. They've gone through it or are currently going through a bit of a COVID problem. I don't think it's a huge issue, but they're certainly going through it. Is it better that the Blues are going through this right now and they can have those really tough you know, discussions right now rather than getting up to Edmonton and then all of a sudden guys step outside the bubble up there and it becomes a disaster? Is this kind of an advantage for the Blues right now? I mean, obviously it's not fun, but you know what I mean. Uh, Jamie, it's not kind of an advantage. I think it's a complete 100% advantage because, you know, and I, I talked to a blues player about this last week, and, and this is just human nature. I'm not sure if I talked about it on this show or not, but, you know, this whole COVID thing, uh, to me anyway, at least, you know, the safety of our homes, we always just, you kind of feel like this virus is out there. I think a lot of these players around the league, you feel like you're untouchable. Everyone feels like they're untouchable until someone in your neighborhood gets it or maybe your cousin gets it or now your teammate gets it then it kind of becomes real it kind of manufactures into something like real right so i think this is what these players now are going through they're starting to see that x y and z tested positive they're standing you know three stalls over from me i golf with them on friday or you know whatever so they know it's close to home so i think it's anything everyone kind of puckers up a little bit everyone's going to tighten up and they're going to say whoa boy this is this is hitting home this is very close to us now and look and look it's it's what june or july 7th today and i think these cases really uh, happened about a week two weeks ago so you're right. There's plenty of time to kind of diagnose this and kind of reflect on this. If you're a blues player and you're part of the blues organization saying that these guys got it and we need to be very careful. And I talked to Doug Armstrong uh, about this on um, Alex and I show about this week in hockey, a little plug there for you and me, Alex. And, you know, he said that basically there's going to be lots of protocols now moving forward about how players should conduct themselves in phase three to get to phase four. Now, 
every team's doing that, and the Blues were going to do that no matter what. But I guarantee you these players are going to be even more cautious and more strict about about what they have to do. Go to the rink, get your exercise, get your skate, get in the car, go home. Honey, do you order the groceries? Yes, order the groceries. Let's go for a walk to the park and back. Are we going to stay at the park? No. Because these guys know it, it can happen to them. So I think this is a great time for them to happen. And I think it's the perfect time for them to all recover. Now, let's say these were a week and a half, two weeks ago. Uh, that still gives these players, assuming no other positive tests, a week to skate here before they leave. Uh, on, you know, on July, I think they moved it up to July 24th now is now the, the departure date for all teams with an exhibition game on the 25th. So even these positive tests that we saw, they still have a week after a two-week quarantine to come back, skate for a week, fly up to Edmonton, and possibly even play an exhibition game before we even do the round robin. So to answer your question, absolutely, the timing is great. And uh, I think it's going to be a good wake-up call for a lot of Blues players, and hopefully they they take take a lot of precautions moving forward. Blues analyst Joey Vitale joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. You can hear him and Alex Ferrario on this week in hockey each and every Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. Joey, I did want to ask you about the Blues and being able to finish this postseason because we've all kind of gone up and down and peaks and valleys on our confidence level of this being able to be concluded. Where are you at right now? And you're talking with the guys and your own assessment of it how confident are you that the nhl is going to be able to pull this off you know if i had to put a percentage on it guys i mean this from the bottom of my heart and i'm not just trying to be optimistic here to me i'm i'm definitely 90 percent. we're going to have a cup winner and 10 percent we're not i think we're going to get to the bubble i think uh without question i think i would put my life almost on that maybe 95 to 5 we're going to get to the bubble the only thing that could happen is maybe something pops up once they're in the bubble, especially in a city like Toronto. So that kind of makes me a little nervous. But I am 90% sure we are going to see teams go to the bubble. Uh, it's going to be a great tournament. It's going to be a great playoff. And we're going to see a, we're going to see a Stanley Cup champion. And this isn't just my gut feeling. Again, I talk to players. And it's not just not just asking them, are we going to do this thing? It's just like their tone, like their energy, you know, like just talking to the guys and their energy and their tone and the disposition, the attitude like, we're here. Let's go. Let's play. We're going to get up there. We're going to do our thing. Uh, there's a lot of incentives now for these players. They're going to make these hubs very, very well. Uh, Caps are going to make them safe. Uh, a lot of great things in the banquet halls. The guys, listen, but these are guys. They just want to play cards, and they want to you know, hang out with their buddies and, and play hockey. And that's, at the end of the day, what it could be. So uh, I do feel very confident. I think the NHL did a great job picking these two great cities. Uh, and that's one of the big things, too, as well was where they were going to go, where we going to see a spike. I think they did a great job picking the Canadian cities where hopefully the numbers continue to stay low and the bubble continues to stay safe. And, and I really do feel, guys, that uh, based off the players I chatted with, that this thing is going to happen. They're going to be leaving here on the 24th. Uh, and we're going to have a great little tournament here. Well, Joey, we're certainly looking forward to it. We can't wait to hear you and Curbs on the call with Ferrario on the pre-post and intermission for us here on 101 ESPN. We're looking forward to all that. We always appreciate your time, and we look forward to it each and every week. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, boys. Have a great week. You bet. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. He, of course, is the best. (laughs) 90% chance of them finishing the season. Where are you at on this, Jamie? You agree? Are you as confident right now as Joey Vitale seems to be? Uh, Finishing it? Yes. Absolutely. I think that uh, to me, I've said it a number of times today, maybe even more. I don't know. But certainly today, it's the time of between now and and the 24th when they leave. And that's why I brought up that question to Joey, and that's why I brought it up earlier with you guys is, you know, is it, 
I don't want to be blessing. Is it a good thing that the Blues have had to deal with COVID already, knowing now that, okay, this is no joke. We had some guys that got it. We need to be a lot smarter. And like Joey said, do what you got to do, get home, and just get to the bubble. Because I think once you get to the bubble, it's not nothing's ever guaranteed. But you're hoping that the percentages of players who are taking it seriously, specifically on your team, those numbers are going to be high. So to me, still between now and the 24th, not necessarily here in St. Louis, maybe other teams, that's going to be the hardest patch of runway for this league right now. Once they get to the bubble, I do think things will get easier there. Yeah, I'm with Joe, and to be honest, I'm a little more confident if they get into the bubble and when they get to the bubble, I'm at 99% that they'll finish the season out because the NHL has put together such a strong protocol for these players and just the plan for return to play. There's no loopholes. There's no kind of gray areas. It is black and white all the way through. It's getting to the it's getting to the hub cities. It's getting to the bubble. It's getting all of these players back into their own cities for these training camps because some guys still are in their countries. I mean, look at what baseball is going through with Giovanni Gallegos trying to get back. We don't know. You don't know with some of these players when you get them back, which is why I think training camp is going to be so important where you can, if there is an outbreak, you can flush that out of your team before you get on the plane and get to the bubble so that when you're in the bubble, there's no cases. You're following the protocol black and white. And these NHL players want to get this Stanley Cup championship. Crowned. How much is your confidence related to the fact that they're playing in Canada? Like, how much is it wow. them being there as opposed to being somewhere here in the United States where obviously things are exploding in the, the COVID cases? Yeah, look, uh, I don't know if being in Canada per se is, you know, that big of an advantage. Being in Edmonton is. So obviously yeah. Edmonton being in Canada, it's, you know, obviously it checks the box. But Edmonton has a very low number of cases for COVID-19. Toronto that was still a little bit awkward because they've had some upticks recently. They've been up and down and all around. Now, to my knowledge, and what I believe is going to happen in Toronto is they are going to literally isolate like a a city block of area in the middle of nowhere for these players to be kept in this bubble atmosphere and make sure that they're not in the, the heat of everything in Toronto because Toronto guys – it's not as big, but it's very similar to New York City as far as population. It's the biggest city in Canada, and you're going to get a lot of infected people in and around Toronto, so they're going to have to do a heck of a job there. But, yeah, the choice to go to Canada, Canada is still heavily policed right now by the government on the masks, uh, social distancing. There's still a lot of businesses that aren't open, and I'm not going to comment on that as far as the economy and all that stuff. Right. I do think that it was a good choice. Specifically, Edmonton was a really great choice. Toronto to be determined, but I do think they'll handle it properly. It looks, as I'm kind of looking at some of the numbers for Edmonton, I mean, they're, they're less than 100 cases a day at this point. So it's it's very, very low in that specific area. So it, it makes a lot of sense. I think their bubble, quote unquote, is the best of the ones that we've seen. I've said this repeatedly, but I, I continue to believe it to be true. I, I think they have the best plan. It's going to be enforced, too. Like you read the into it and, and they're not allowed to go do anything without notifying somebody from the team personnel leaving the hotel, getting on the elevator. Anytime they're seen, there's going to be people in the lobbies of these hotels that keep track of what players from what teams are leaving and why they're leaving and where they're going. I know it sounds... The hotel employees... The biggest thing for me was the hotel employees are even being quarantined Mm -hmm. with these players. And and they're being tested. 
That's huge. It's huge because then you actually create a bubble. You are inside of what is basically a biodome where everybody that is around you at all times is under the same protocol. They mm-hmm. all have to stay there. Meanwhile, in Orlando, where you've got the MLS and you've got the NBA, they're not under that same protocol. The people that are working and serving you your food and doing all of these different things inside of those hotels are going home every night. And they're not being tested at the same rate that these NBA players out. We're going to be a okay. One thing you got to remember here about these athletes right now, and specifically hockey, and I can speak to that because I have knowledge of it, but out of all the leagues, the hockey players, I guarantee you, I've been the most willing to yeah. abide by these rules. And that's why you're looking at, you know, people probably go, wow, it's kind of military like the way they're handling. The players agreed to it. The players want this. The they players it. know it has to be this yeah. way. Whereas some of the other sports, I don't know if they would want this. You'd get some some pushback from the players. And the hockey players, like, you know what? We worked all season to get to this spot here. It is what it is, and we're going to abide by these rules. And, in fact, I heard from a number of the players that have pulled with the union and were in on some of those discussions that – a lot of these protocols were suggested by right. the players themselves. Before we break, can we just appreciate the phenomenal drops that Joe Vitale has offered us? You guys remember this one, right? I'd be happier than a dog with two dinghies if <laughs> like, you asking me. Like, that one was, was epic, but... But, Ribs, this this is what we have now. I tell you what, sometimes, BK, you remind me of Donald Trump. Okay. Like, that's our drop. <laughs> That's Could our be. drop now. That is no, ours. No, we're that's kind of. On another note, apparently we've created a bit of a game here today uh, from the three one four on the text line. Me and the boys at work are taking a shot every time you guys. Every time one of you says bubble. Oh, good, good luck getting home. So, <laughs> I don't know where you're working um, or how many guys there are, but uh, good luck. Bubbled it. Bubble it. Bubble. Bubble. <laughs> bubble. Bubble. That ought to take care of your day for you. That's Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Jim Ducat's a former Major League Baseball general manager. How would he handle Dylan Carlson? We'll ask him coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's former Blues superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers. That's Alex Ferrario. I am Brandon Kylie. It is Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's go back out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by Jim Duquette. He's a former MLB general manager, now a host on MLB Network Radio, joining us here on Rivs and BK. Jim, first of all, thanks so much for hopping on with us today. How are you doing, my friend? What's up, guys? How are you doing? Everything is uh, everything's pretty good here. How about there? Happy and healthy. That's all we can ask for right about now, Jim. So let's start out with this. Major League Baseball officially back on the field this week after a few issues, obviously, in the testing over the weekend. It seems like for now things have kind of stabilized a bit. What's been your biggest reaction to the first almost week now of the guys being back out on the fields? You know, uh, the, well, two, the two things. First off, I think I agree with you. I think the, the testing it seems like they got it under control. There's still a hiccup or two here or there. I saw one in Houston uh, with the Astros recently. Uh, Alex Bregman, their star player, was uh, held out uh, for precautionary reasons because he didn't get his results back. I think that they've resolved that. I think there's going to be some hiccups there still. But, but it, uh, you know, I think that um, – you know, that first weekend with the holiday and everything else looks like they've kind of put that behind them, hopefully. Uh, so that's one thing. The second thing, just on the field itself, um, you know, as players kind of get used to this, this uh, you know, new normal, at least right now, I- I'm surprised at 
some of the length of the pitcher, the starting pitchers are given out of the gate, like five, six innings right from the start. Some of these guys trying to uh, build up their arm strength, that they're in better, they're better, go, better physical shape uh, than I thought they would be. Not really knowing, you know, with, with all that time off, what they were doing. I think um, I've been pleasantly surprised that some of these guys are able to go, you know, 90 pitches, uh, you know, 75 pitches in their f- first uh, outing or so. So that's been, um, I think, a little bit thing that stands out on the field. Jim, sticking with the pitching here, and I'm going to bring it right in locally with the Cardinals. Um, Carlos Martinez, he has been, you know, probably top subject here for us today when we talk about the Cardinals, just the impact that he could have if he puts together a great season. Now, you've seen a lot of baseball. You certainly know a lot about pitching, and you've covered it from the general manager's standpoint. A guy like Carlos Martinez, if he's healthy, if he's on track, if he's focused, what kind of an advantage does that give the St. Louis Cardinals going into a 60-game season? Well, yeah, I mean, listen, you guys have seen it too, like, you know, how good he's been and how, how he can be if he's, if he's pitching healthy and, you know, putting him – if you looked at their if their overall pitching, I, I really like their rotation, whether he was a part of it or not. I just – I think there was a, a little bit of a hole in the bullpen for me. So putting him in the pen, I think, made a lot of sense, you know, especially with Brebby out. Um, you know, the depth, uh, the, the teams that are going to be there at the end of the 60 game sprint are mostly going to be the ones that have, uh, the best overall pitching one to 15, let's say, however many they want to use. You're going to need probably six starters at some point would be my guess. So, you know, you, at least one more, um, you know, or two potentially if a guy gets injured, but, but I think that, you know, and, and the Cardinals for me are top at the top of the list in the national league with the depth in their pitching overall, especially when you put Martinez, uh, you know, in the, in the bullpen. So that, that's how, how I viewed it. You know, I, I, he may not be happy about it, be happy about it. I haven't seen his reaction. I haven't seen re- reaction. You guys probably before I have, but, but I just, I know, you know, when he coming in, he's thinking of starting, they were talking about him starting. If the organization thinks he should be going up, be, you know, better off with him in the bullpen, you're better off telling them earlier rather than waiting till the very end. So, you know, I understand from the organization. I've had those conversations, not pleasant ones, with guys who think they should be starting, but you're, but it's better organizationally to go to the pen. And you know, Martinez is, you know, he's he's a little different. He he's he's earned his right. You know, he's been there for a long time. He had the big contract. There's, there's some things that kind of come with that. But I think that the Cardinals, as an organization, are making that right call. Former Major League Baseball general manager Jim Duquette joining us here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Talking about two other guys that we've had a lot of conversations about that could have bounce back seasons. I'm, of course, referencing Matt Carpenter and at first base, Paul Goldschmidt. Goldie was good last year, but wasn't at his typical MVP level. What are you expecting out of those two in particular this season, Jim, if you're looking at Matt Carpenter and Paul Goldschmidt? So yeah, Carpenter is an interesting one because you know, I mean, he if he's in the DH role, can he you know make the adjustment to that, or you know, was well, he going to play defensively? I mean, I, he he needs to he needs to step up. But I, I think a guy like that um, is fascinating. You know, what how Mike Schilt handles him if he gets off to a slow start again, because you know the, the inclination in the full season, he's like, okay, well, he's a veteran, he's proven over the years, he had a down year, but I'm going to stick with him you know, for the first month of the season and let him get his timing down. You don't have that time this, you know, these days, you know, if the team's playing well, you do, but if you're kind of muddling around and, and, you know, you don't have a lot more, you don't have as much patience with a 60 game sprint. So I'll be curious to watch that. 
I think Carpenter though will bounce back. I, I I've always liked him as a hitter, and I I think um, you know we'll see we'll see on that. But I, I do think that Goldschmidt for me is still the dominating type of hitter, um, and you know the, to expect what you paid for out of him. I think he's still in that position where you can expect a high level of of uh, him. Carpenter's a little bit more of a of a you know you got to buy into you know what he's done in the past. I think Goldschmidt though it's still plenty. There's still plenty left in the tank there, and, and uh, expect high, high things from him. All right, Jim, I'm going to stay on topic here a little bit. Um, yeah, I've gone out and said that uh, I think Tyler O'Neill to me is a fascinating player this year with the Cardinals, and you know he had some incredible numbers playing in the minors, and that hasn't translated yet in the majors, but has he really been given the opportunity to see if those numbers can translate to the major leagues? Or do you think we've seen what we have out of Tyler O'Neill and this is kind of the way it's going to go? Yeah, he, he's a, I'm, I agree. With you. He's a fascinating guy because I feel like if he did, um, you know, he's one of those guys, if he did get the opportunity that, you know, he might just provide what, what people thought, you know, over the years, give you the big power, um, I, I don't know what to expect with him. I do think that you get you give him a give him a chance. He and, and uh, Lane Thomas, but they better they better produce quickly. You know, in the early going. You know, and he didn't. Problem was that you know he hasn't had a you know a great major league career so far, and then he got up to a slow start in the early part of the spring. So it's and it's hard to prove yourself. You know, with these two weeks of inter squad games, it's really not it's not great. You know, competition wise, but you know, I think early on. You know, especially with Carlson, what he looks like he's going to be as a hitter, uh, it can be a little added pressure, I think, with Tyler to kind of pick it up. Now, Tyler's what is he? Twenty-five, I think, twenty-six years old. I mean, he's a guy that um, that um, you know, in that range, in that in that age group, you can see him, you know, with with the experience, with the with the uh, the at bats, uh, figuring it out, but. You know, it's it's like one of those deals. I don't know if this is going to be that year where you're going to wait on that. You know, he might it might be one of those where he has to get an opportunity. If he doesn't get up to a quick start, he may have to wait for that opportunity until maybe next year. I'm glad you brought up Jill, Dylan Carlson, Jim, because that's the guy that I wanted to ask you about next. He's certainly been the topic of conversation for, I mean, I guess almost six months now here in St. Louis. What are you anticipating in terms of both when you think he will be called up? Because it sounds like it's about a week in terms of the service time manipulation that they would have to wait for him to be called up. And then when he is called up, is that a guy that you feel like needs to be in the lineup every day if he is with the big league roster? Yeah, I, I listen, I think if you're, you know, if I'm in uh, John Mosellock's shoes and, and, you know, Gersh's shoes. You go. Wait a minute. You know, I have to. I have to wait. You know, the six days or seven days to get, get the extra control. You know, now you could start him. Here, here's the thing: people don't realize. Like, you could start him at the regular you know, the, to start the season, and then if he were to struggle a little bit later, let's say in the in the month, you can send him down for six or seven days and still accomplish what you're trying to do. It doesn't have to be at the beginning. It could be during the course of the year, but. But let's just assume you go with you know the previous question on O'Neill and Lane Thomas, Lane Thomas. Let them you know play first. Carlson comes up in let's say a week or ten days. I think this guy is going to play. He's going to stick. It'd be almost like a you know Tommy Edmond type of of uh, impact on your team. 
uh, both offensively and defensively. You know, like you're going to need that boost, I think, this year. I think they're a little short offensively when I look at the Cardinals. So I think they're going to need him at some point. And I, I, it may not be, you know, to where he was in the minor leagues last year. I mean, these guys, but all he does is hit. And I, it looks like he's got a really nice approach. He likes to hit the ball the other way. The little, I haven't seen him a ton, but the, the parts that I have seen, I've been really impressed with him. We're talking with Jim Duquette at uh, on Twitter, at Jim underscore Duquette, baseball analyst for Major League Baseball Network on radio and former general manager. And that's where I want to go now with you, Jim, is I want you to put on your GM's hat. And I'm very curious as to how baseball is going to pull off this season without the bubble mentality, without that that bubble that the, the other leagues are going with right now to seclude the players from, we'll call them general population. As a general manager, how are you approaching this with your team to convey just how important it is for them to be responsible and to be doing the right things on and off the field? Yeah, I think that, that, you know, every team has to kind of take care of their own business, right? And I think that's the most important thing you mentioned it is, is all we can control is our team. And, and the one way for our, like, like whatever, whatever, you know, the, the, at the end of this, if we play a full season, 60 games plus postseason, we want to be there at the end. Um, yeah, will it, will it be you know, an asterisk to some degree or whatever? However, people want to view the 2020 season, I'm sure that's fine, but you're still playing for something. And if you're playing for it and you're here and you're going to risk, risk, uh, you know, uh, getting, catching the virus and being away from your family and everything else. And you'd be in here for, you gotta, you gotta spend 60 days of quarantining and doing the right thing and doing following the, the, the protocols that we think will keep you safe. Um, and just control what you could control that. I think that would be the overall message, respect for your teammates and, and, you know, respect for you. Let's not make this any type of political thing. It's a teammate thing. Be be respectful of your teammate. I've had a couple of players come on and, and even say that on my own show. I think that's to me the best mantra. If I were the uh, general manager of a team to, to express to my, to, to our players as a group. And, and, you know, what I'm curious to see, you know, is, is, Okay, we get teams that start to fall out of it at the end, uh, you know, as the season goes on. If, if let's just take assumptions that we're able to get through the first 50 games, you get to the final 10, there's going to be a handful or more teams that are, uh, are going to fall out of it. Do they practice the same the diligence when it comes to quarantining and everything that is required um, or do players start to, you know, get a little antsy and, and decide to go out and, you know, risk – coming down with the virus. There's a lot of unanswered questions that I just don't know, you know, if we can make this whole season. I'm hopeful that we can, but I, I have a level of skepticism in a couple of different areas, and that's one of them. Quickly, Jim, final question for you. If you had to put a percentage on it, what percentage chance do you think we get a uh, World Series champion this year? Whew. I think we start the season. I think it's going to be hard to get to the finish line. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's a 25% chance that we get through the entire postseason. It's Jim Duquette. I hope I'm wrong. I certainly <laughs> I hope, hope you wrong. are as well. He's a former Major League <laughs> Baseball general manager, now a host for MLB Network Radio. Jim, we always appreciate the time, man. We hope that you're very much wrong on your percentage chance of them finishing yeah. the season, but looking forward to talking baseball with you nonetheless again. Yeah, anytime. Good to talk to you guys. Yeah. Absolutely. That's Jim Duquette here on Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. 25%. <sighs> I just think that baseball, I just think they're in tough. I do. I think that the way that they've structured it, I think they're in tough. 
better chance than Buster Olney. That's my positivity. Buster only said zero. Jim Duquette told us Buster's 25. In, Buster's improved that. I think I think he at, he's up to like 5% now. That they I think that was that they even start the year. No, I think we'll have to we'll have to go I'll back have to and go check. Back to we'll have to have the Buster meter in here and see just <laughs> yeah. how he feels as we go here. That's Jamie Rivers. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time to open up the junk drawer with Ribs and BK. With former Blue Star defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Not kidding, as we were coming back from break, and Jamie heard the open for the junk drawer. Wait, we're doing the junk drawer well, now? Well, Could you switch this up on me? I played the right open, Rivs. You did, but that's a concern. I thought maybe you didn't. Jamie, I appreciate you listening to the show. <laughs> When did you say that? On the rollout? Did you? Yeah. Thought, oh, gosh. Yeah, I said, hey, coming up next, it's the junk drawer on 101 ESPN. You know, I was reading ahead on it, and it, it's had, it had a title for a different segment, so I was looking at that, and I was definitely, yeah. Okay, so, junk drawer, here we come. So I'll get us started today, so I'll give you a second so that no, way you I'm can recover start this off. Okay, I got this. Too. I'm actually ready, believe it or not. <laughs> so, as a football player, okay, at, let's say you're playing college football, NFL doesn't work out. Uh, the Battle Hawks are gone now. Unfortunately, the XFL's gone. There's really not another league to play in. There's some arena football. What I'm getting at is, what do you do as a former football player when, you know, there's just no more opportunity for you? Go work at Enterprise. Haven't you seen the uh, commercials? Probably no. open up a strip club. Uh, well, you could, could do all those too. things, okay? Or you could save lives. That, that's a better option. Let's go with that one. BK, okay, so... That one? Ex-college football player catches a child that was thrown from a burning building. What? So, yes, yes. 28-year-old Philip Blanks played um, at Saddleback College in Mission Viejo, California. Okay. Was at his home in Phoenix when he saw a nearby apartment was ablaze. He decided to check out the scene, ran over, uh, and all of a sudden there was a boy that was thrown out of the window to try and save his life. Yeah. Well, instead of hitting the ground, his instinct was, I'm going to grab this kid. And he ran well, over. God bless him. The guy, and he caught the kid from the burning building before, obviously, there's anything tragic that happened. So, yeah. So, based upon um, Phillip's history as a uh, football player, yeah. he was able to make the ultimate grab on this one and save a child from hitting the ground out of a burning building. So I think that uh, it's important that we recognize that and what a heck of a guy. Yeah, that's incredible, man. I mean, that that guy, I I don't know how much I believe in the whole uh, fate or being in the right place at a certain time, all that stuff. But I mean, it certainly feels that way, right? Like there, there's a reason why he in particular was in that area at that time and then was pulled to that scene. And then it ends up saving a child's life as a result of it. That's incredible. I mean, all all credit that is due. That's an unbelievable story. Last little tidbit. Uh, he's related to Barry Sanders as well as Mike Conley. So there certainly is some football blood in the family. Um, he saved the young boy's life. So hats off to Philip. He deserves himself an ice cold beer after that. 
And maybe the beer he's going to be drinking, Jamie Rivers, is a Bush Light Apple. Told you about this. Have Let's you talk. heard about this stuff? Okay, so funny story. Yes, we, uh, what, a couple days ago, I walk in, I was wearing my 101 ESPN t-shirt, the only one I have because nobody here will give me another one. But <laughs> anyway, you have one. Uh, I went in to purchase uh, some food or a water at the gas station. There was a representative from the alcohol distributorship. He was loading up the fridges, pulls down the mask, and he's like, hey, hey, uh, never mind that wine you drink, Riv. He's like, you need to get some of this Bush Light Apple. We're coming out with it soon. And obviously, he was a listener to the show because we talk about me drinking wine quite a bit. And so, yeah, so then I came in and told you guys, I'm like, Bush Light Apple. And we all kind of sat here and I think had some mixed reviews in our head. So continue your story here. So this is a new thing, and it's not it's not a cider. It's not an apple cider. It's not a seltzer. It's not any of those things. Like, we've got the Bud Light seltzers that we know that Ferrario's a big fan of. He had at least three of them hammered last night. Darn right I did. Two and a half. It is a Bush Light. <laughs> wow. It is the actual beer, but it has apple flavoring huh. with it. Listen, I'm willing to give anything a chance. Anything? Just about anything a chance to drink in terms of beer. Nice. I'll save myself there. Yeah, you've covered all grounds there. You're good, BK. But you're the, the craft apple- beer guy. Wouldn't you? I would think this is right in your wheelhouse. No. Because no. craft beer is all different flavors, infused with things, doing all sorts of different things. And this is just apple. I thought, no, oh, this is BK's dream. This is Bush Light with, with apple. Yeah, are, so, you ta- are you talking negatively about Bush Light? I love Bush Light. I love the original Bush Light. <laughs> I'm out on Bush Light with apple before it's even out. But mm. that being said, I, I will give it a shot. I will... I will try to have an open mind about it. I will certainly probably consume at least one of these things, and I'll report back. But it does not sound particularly good. What's your overall thought on Bush? Big fan. Uh, Bush Heavy's always been my favorite. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you no, just I'm swallowed. The I'm not a, I'm not a, bu- <laughs> I'm not a Bush guy. Yeah, I, I'm Bush light for sure. Yeah, keep it light down there. Real light. <laughs> I'll keep this thing going. All right. So (laughs) facials are very difficult to get right now out in New York. Debatable. Because of the pandemic and you can't go to the salons, of course. Can't get facials. That being said, there is one thing that you can do instead of getting your facial. So they don't want you to have the open face talking to whoever you're person is at the salon you guys back with me here mm-hmm. okay, so. kind of <laughs> because then there's the p- potential for transmitting the disease right they want to keep people safe well instead there's at least one spa in new york city that is going with a new kind of facial they'll give you the same treatment but instead of being on your face is now on your buns <laughs> <laughs> i've been doing that for years <laughs> so, you know my follow-up question to this was they offer happy endings and apparently they do People have been doing that for years, PK. <laughs> Safety first. <laughs> so, so, speaking of interesting things. Um, He's just going to gloss over that story. <laughs> that, that was his story, too. How did Actually, let's not gloss over that. How did you pick that story and think that you were going to get through this with this group of people in here? Like everything you went through, it, it shouldn't have even happened. With like, us. Like, as I, I got to dive inside BK's brain here for a second. As you pulled that story for the junk drawer, how did you not read it and to yourself go, 
Yeah, this is just never going to work. These guys aren't mature enough for this. No, I thought it was going to go exactly as it went. Out. <laughs> oh, okay. That's that was why kind of the it. end result that I was hoping for, by the way. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Uh, BK, wow, this guy is such a nerd. Touche. Go ahead, Jamie. All right, so BK, I think we covered this a while ago that when I played in Detroit, uh, there was an incredible house that we could have gotten, but it uh, the backyard was essentially a cemetery. Do you remember that story? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the haunted house. It, whatever, right? The wife was no-go. I thought it was great. Ended up where it was a no-go, okay? So how would you feel if you're a new homeowner and you discovered a skull in your backyard? Nope. Out. <laughs> you're out? But it's in somebody the backyard. Somebody else's home now. It's in your backyard. It's not in your house. It was somebody else's home, home before, too. Yeah. Not my home. Okay, well, apparently mm-hmm. new homeowners. Skull's home now. <laughs> new homeowners in Michigan found a grim surprise in their backyard. A human skull. Nice pun. So police went and tried to obviously figure out how this happened. And the previous owner was actually shot and killed before in an incident with the police. Um, apparently it was a gunfight. But now they're still trying to piece together how they ended up with a human skull in that backyard and trying to figure out if maybe the owner was not a great dude. You think? Possibly. And um, buried somebody back there. So the investigation is continuing. They're obviously digging up the rest of the backyard. But uh, yeah, so no go on that house for you, BK? Mm-mm, mm-mm. No, nope. nope. I would think that that would have. You just went through this whole process, Ferrario. Isn't there like an inspection that takes place at some point where? Yeah, but I don't think they dig in the backyard during the inspection. I feel like if there's a skull, we got to find that. We got to find the skull if there's one in the backyard. <laughs> Start telling that needs the backyard. To come Start telling all your inspectors. Is it, was it just sitting there chilling? backyard they don't really go into it but or was it, it buried it kind of looks like it's in like a fire pit so it looks like somebody tried to burn someone yeah. and the skull was just left there should have came up in the inspection should probably came up yeah <laughs> hey it's look but maybe guy. it wasn't there at that time the new owner was final just... walkthrough maybe i don't know <laughs> final walkthrough and you find a head yeah like the new owner was just trying to get ahead of his landscaping nothing wrong with a little head Six five seven eight zero is air covered service sex then for the six three six. I just tuned in. What the bleep did I walk into? <laughs> Bad it or forget it's coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's Ribs and BK's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. With Far Blue Superstar Defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's play a game of Bet It or Forget It. Cardinals over under edition. How's that sound for you today, oh, Jamie? Sounds great. Thank oh, you, baby. Paul Goldschmidt, his batting average from Vegas is set at an over under of 290 this season. Jamie, over under 290 batting average for one Paul Goldschmidt this year. Unlike you, BK, I have faith in Goldie, and I'm going to go with the over on this one. BK, you did say you hate Goldschmidt. He did. Said he sucks. I heard that. What? Don't act surprised now. (laughs) Our audience is going to think that you guys are being honest, and I don't appreciate that. Well, what did you say? Last year was his worst year. He last, what, like what? Own it. S- ever since he's become that, a regular. See? 
See, there we go. Goldschmidt sucks. That's what I'm saying. And I think he's going to be at an MVP potential type wow. of level again this you season. You never said that. Okay. <laughs> Ferrario, over under 290 batting average I'm for going, Goldie this I'm year. I'm going over also. I, I don't know if he's going to hit 300, but uh, I'm on I'm on my boy Rivs' side. I don't hate Paul Goldschmidt. I think we're looking at a 293, <laughs> 295 batting average. So in his career prior to last season, he was at or above 290 each of the previous six years. Mm-hmm. He's only had two years in his entire career where he was not a, at or above a 290 batting average when he was a regular. You got to take the over here. Just play the percentages. It's a short season. You feel like he's going to be able to have a bounce back. I'm going to take the over because I don't hate Paul Goldschmidt. Over under, Jamie. Paul DeYoung home runs this season. Now, I'm going to convert all of this to what it would be over 162 games just for our audience that it's a little difficult with the numbers for the shortened season. But the over under for him is 11 and a half homers in a 162 game full season. That would be the equivalent of 31 home runs. So that's the pace that he would be on over under 11 and a half home runs for Paul DeYoung, Jamie Rivers. Wow. Uh... You know what? I'll, I'll go with the over. I see him getting like 13. So that would be over, right? That's higher. 13 is higher than 11. 13 right? is higher than 11. Carry the two. Yes. Okay. We yeah. don't do math here, but that's one thing I can be certain on. Going with the over. I'll take the over also. I think the fact that it's 60 games, so he's not going to have to be concerned so much about the days off. Uh, he's not going to have to worry about the double headers that you're going. Fatigue won't be a factor, I think, for Paul DeYoung this season which means you're going to have more consistency in his at-bats. So I'm looking at about 15 to 16 home runs for him. It's going to be a really big year for him. Last season, he the second half of the year, his batting average was awful, but he was hitting for more power. So he was more of an all-or-nothing player. I'm going to be really interested to see what his approach looks like this season, because if it is more like what it was the first half of the season, he had a 260 batting average, which was fine, but he just the slugging was a little bit lower. So I'm going to take the under on Paul DeYoung, 11 and a half homers. Hates him too. You hate Paul DeYoung. 31 would be a new career high in terms of a full season. 11 and a half would be that over the 60 games. I'm going to take the under. I think he gets to 9, 10, 11. I think he has a good season, but I'm going to take the under on the homers. I'll take the over on what his batting average probably Mm -hmm. would be projected at. Over under Jamie Rivers. Jack Flaherty, five wins this year over a 162 game season. That would basically be the equivalent of 13 and a half as the over under over under five wins for Jack Flaherty this year. All right. This is a 20 win guy. Like this is a 20 win guy all year. When his offense helps him. But still, either way, even if they win one, nothing, you know, and Flaherty pitches a game where there's no run scored. He's a 20-game guy, so I'm going with the over on this one here. Five wins. I think he's going to have an outstanding sink that I think the Cardinals are going to have a good, solid team. Uh, therefore, I, I have no doubt in my mind that Flaherty will win more than five games. I'm going to take the under on this one, and it's not because I hate Jack Flaherty. Oh, you just uh, think he sucks. I'm, I'm just I'm playing the, the numbers here. 60 games, if he starts every fifth one, that's 12 starts. I mean, five out of those 12 starts, you got to hope that the offense gives you run support to give you the victory. You got to hope he goes at least five innings for you. And then on top of that, you got to hope that the bullpen holds things down. So all of those factors makes me concerned. I think he could hit five, 
but I'm going to take the under on Flaherty. Mm. How many innings do we think he's going to pitch early in the season? Do we think he's going to get five plus? Oh, yeah, he's a bulldog. He's he's not going to be I taken out of that game. I don't even know if that's a question. Seriously, yeah. I think that he's going to just be just fine. She'll he's won't, young. She'll he's won't be able to touch him. Strong arm. He's built for this. He's been throwing, too. That's my biggest question with him is what he looks like early in the season. I hope he goes more than five consistently, but early on, if he doesn't, he's not going to qualify for that win. And then you've got the question of if he has enough games and starts to ultimately make that up. I'm going to take the under here, but it is not a shot against Jack Flair. I think it is more a statement of what Mike Schilt is going to be doing with his pitching, especially early on when they have that expanded roster with the extra said he's riding it like normal. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see if that ends up being the case. Now you're calling him a liar? (laughs) I'm just concerned the offense can't give a a I'm so done with you. It's Friday. (laughs) I'm just concerned the offense can't hold on to leads for him again. That's the only thing. 65780 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show. I don't care what BK says. Paul Goldschmidt is awesome. You're right, 636. Amen. Unbelievable. Amen. We're with you. Better or forget it. Over under Dylan Carlson starts this season. The over under is set at 25 starts for Dylan Carlson. Jamie Rivers, you taking the over or the under? 25 starts for Dylan Carlson. I'm going under. With this one, I'm going under. I think that his starts will increase as the season goes on, and certainly if he's playing well. But I, I do think he, you got to see what O'Neill, Lane Thomas, Dexter Fowler, Harrison Bader, you've got a lot of mouths to feed early on. And if they get hot, let's say they do play well, well, you're not just going to take guys out for an extended period of time. Maybe there's a one-off or Dylan Carlson gets in, and then he comes you know, right back out. I just see 25. I I hope I'm wrong on this. I would love to see him get a lot of starts, but I'm going to go with the under on this. Is this a start in terms of outfield and the DH position, or is this starting? Starts. So starts and no matter what. Oh, wait, 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 wait. So, so he could be a starter as a DH and just not in the outfield. Yeah, if he's oh, in the lineup well, in the first inning yeah. when they come up to bat. Yeah. That changes everything. Well, I thought you, you meant like ask the hard questions, the Well, if you, if no, you, it's just a bad question. Or in the lineup <laughs> at the beginning of the game, you are a starter. I'm taking the over. So what? It's a week before he gets I'm going, to be I'm going to change. Up. I'm going to go with the over then. If he's just able to be a pinch hitter. I didn't know no, you were wearing not your a pinch hitter, a designated hitter. I didn't know you were, oh, I didn't know you were wearing your flip flops today. Shut up, BK. I didn't know you were wearing your flip flops today, today Riffs. <laughs> be quiet, Alex. Okay. The I'm trying to talk here, over you. Of course. <laughs> is the over. He's going to start at least 35 games this year. I think he is going to be a regular starter, a regular contributor. I think he's going to come up right away. (laughs) Everything we've heard is how mature he is, how great his approach is for the game. I think Dylan Carlson is going to be a regular starter for the Cardinals this season. Will it be in left? Will it be in right? Will it be in center? I don't know. But I think he's going to start more often than not whenever he gets up. Over 25 games for him starting this season. Final question for you guys. Over under... Seven and a half starts for Carlos Martinez in 2020. This would be the equivalent of 20 starts over a full regular season. That would be 162 games. Seven and a half over under seven and a half starts for Carlos Martinez this year. This is a tough one. I'm going to go. I'm going to go under on this. I think that. He's going to get a tremendous amount of work in the bullpen. And I think that that's the way Mike Schilt is looking at it. I don't know. Schilty and I haven't had any Mississippi moonshine since his pandemic started. But, He'll come soon. Um, hopefully soon. Maybe we'll do one over Zoom. Let me know that when you guys popular. are doing that. 
but yeah, I, I'm going to go under on this. I think he's going to get more work out of the pen. I'm going over. Uh, I think they want Carlos as a starter. Carlos wants to be a starter. He's made that very clear that he's in shape. He's telling them that he's throwing 95 pitches. We're in the Dominican Republic. There's no way they were happy hearing that. <laughs> There's no, no way. Mo probably lost his mind over that. But with that all being said, health is the biggest thing. I think Carlos knows that he's making the rotation better. So I think that's going to be full speed ahead with Carlos as your starter. I don't think there's an easy middle ground here. I think it's either he ends up starting like 10 or 11 games this season or zero, zero or one. I, I, so I don't think it ends up getting close to this number. I'm still going to lean under. I'm still going to lean towards they start him out. They say, you know what? It's more valuable in the shortened season for us to make sure Carlos is good to go at the end of the season. And we're going to have him be our closer this year. I think it's that's more valuable for them. I think they're going to view it that way. But yesterday really changed my outlook on this. I was like 100% confident with Carlos going to the bullpen yesterday around this time. And then Schiltz and Mo and Carlos all talked after their practice last night. And it it made me change my perspective on it. It made me wonder if they are going to give him at least an opportunity to win that job. So I'm certainly less confident on this than I was. But I would still, as of today, take the under and say I still think he ends up starting in the bullpen. With Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Rivs and BK on 101 ESPN. Let's cross things over with the fast lane to finish this up. Coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's Ribs and BK on 101 ESPN. Time to cross things over with Chris Ronji in the fast lane. Ronj, what's going on, man? Hey, BK, you're a idiot. <laughs> I saw your tweet last night. and uh, so Those are my favorite ones. Oh, my I got one ones. two weeks ago. But mine was actually, it, it, had, uh, it had two misspellings. It oh, misspelled your and uh. How do you yeah. misspell uh? Well, it's yeah. supposed to be, you know, your, your and a idiot. idiot. Yeah, that's what I Y-O-U-R-A got. Y O U R A idiot. You Those are my favorite. Yeah. Those are my favorite. <laughs> I love Absolute it. favorite. There's there's nothing better than the guy on the text line that totally owns you. Yeah. And it's like, come on, dude. Come on. Just take the extra second to spell check. It's if you're gonna, gonna be worth it, I promise. Call me stupid. At least spell it right. See, I look at it a, diff- a different way. That he the the texter's looking at you guys saying you're not even worth me spell checking. That's a good point. <laughs> That's a really you're not worth point. my spell check. Ron. That is a not, great take. Not worth the spell check, but worth the text. Yeah. Yeah. That's possible. Is it? Maybe of course it is. Maybe there's, there's so ang- effort that goes into texting. Yeah, but maybe it's like twice as much effort out. to make sure you spelled it right. Maybe, maybe they're so angry at you that they're they can't type correctly. That's it could be like they're seeing is. red. Yeah, Ray, they're just so upset. Rage they can't texting. They don't use no control when they're pissed off. Hands at all. <laughs> oh, I love that. So, Ron, idea. do you mind if I get really baseball-y with you? Yeah, whatever. Let's go, man. Here for a second, because yeah. uh, I think we're gonna play a baseball season. It's coming. We're two weeks away from opening day now. Um, we've talked a lot about Carl. Or not it Carl, is exactly two weeks away, isn't from it? From today. Yeah. My God, yeah. He's a pro. We've wow. talked a lot about Matt Carpenter and Paul Goldschmidt in particular today. 
<laughs> he is a pro. And Goldie last year, despite Alex's best uh, efforts of making it not seem so, was not a great year I, for him. I don't hate Goldschmidt. This is where he goes into oh, Goldschmidt. This is where he hates Paul this Goldschmidt. This is why BK gets called an idiot. Jeez. <laughs> it was a good year, but by his measures. By it, his standards. Not as high as right. a typical season. He was about 150 points off his OPS from what he would typically give you in any given season. Matt Carpenter, also not a great season by his own standards. What's your confidence level if those guys get back to their vintage levels of performance this year? Uh, you know, I'm more confident in Paul Goldschmidt getting there. I just don't I don't think you're going to see that significant of a drop-off in his career, and then, you know, that's it, right? If you're, if you're 150 points off what your typical OPS pay, uh, pace is, like 100, 150 points, I don't think it's very likely that in one season, unless he's hurt, unless something's bothering him, that that's just it for him. That, like, he's now that player. I would expect more of a rebound. I don't know if you're going to get, like, a 950 OPS out of him or or anything like that, but you should get a significant bump, I would think. I'd be really surprised, unless it turns into one of those slow starter years for him. Like, he was going to have some Two difficulty. Two years ago, he had one of those. Yeah, he did in 2018, right, in Arizona. Well, the problem is you only got two months, so you can't really afford to get off to a slow start. I, I'm not that worried about him. I think he'll be okay. And if he gives you what he gave you last year, at minimum, that's still pretty good. Just by his standards, it's not a typical Paul Goldschmidt. It's not the guy you traded for. If those guys do, and this is the hypothetical that I proposed to both Jamie and Alex earlier today, if those guys do return to form, let's say in this hypothetical scenario, it's vintage Paul Goldschmidt in the middle of your order, and Matt Carpenter is back to being Matt Carpenter that was selling salsa off the shelves shelves here in St. Louis. If that ends up being the case, how good can this lineup be in your opinion? Well, I think over two months, uh, if those two guys are right, I think that could be certainly they're good enough as it is, even without that to make the playoffs this year. And I think they're going to be a playoff team in 2020, provided we play all the way there. But as far as getting into a postseason and then actually making a little bit of noise, uh, making a bit of a run, if those two guys are right, now you're talking about something. It's, It's not a stacked lineup like Washington had. It's not like that. But it's enough with your pitching and your defense that doesn't make a ton of mistakes, that's enough then to make a run once you get there, if those two guys are right. Uh, I mean, think about that. You can have uh, good on-base presence at the top of the order in Colton Wong. I still think that Goldschmidt should bat second. I know a lot of people don't like that. They like the traditional way of doing it, having your, your best hitter hit third. I like him getting second so that he can get a few more at-bats over the course of the year. And then if Carpenter is, you know, kind of what he was... A few seasons ago, uh, then you've got him potentially hitting third. Paul DeYoung with some pop hitting fourth. That's a pretty good top of the order if all of those guys do what you think they're capable of doing. And then add Dylan Carlson in their fifth. Oh, oh yeah, Dylan. Oh, Dylan is going to be that Dylan dude. Is, bar. We're off Dilly and running. Raj, I got a quick MVP. question for you. In this shortened season, we talked about it earlier uh, in the show, from a fan's perspective, the 60-game season, more pressure on... John Mosaloc or more pressure on Mike Schilt to deliver a winning team? I think it's on Mike Schilt. First of all, I don't think there's any pressure on any of them. And 
Don't I, take that. Give no, us no, an no, answer. No, no, no. Hold on. No, no, no. no <laughs> don't run and this hide, is, this is an answer. Great take, Runge. <laughs> this is an answer. I don't think that Mike Schilt and or John Mosaylock have pressure on them in the sense that in a regular season with 162 games, you might have pressure on you. Nobody's looking at this year in a yeah. normal way. This is a completely unusual year. I would actually be surprised uh, if you have more than one firing during this. And in fact, I would actually kind of be surprised if one person gets fired in the course of this season. How can you evaluate anything when you have 60 games? You might have people getting sick. Nobody's playing in a in a typical environment. They're crisis managers more than that's, baseball that's managers this, this year. It, this whole season is just about getting through it and hopefully into next year being a more typical year, but which we don't even know if that's going to be a typical year. Or, so I, I just don't think this, as far as players go, maybe getting an evaluation on some young guys, you got two months, hopefully, of time that you can get a good look at the younger players. There's a good evaluation process. But for managers, general managers, how can you assess much of anything in this year? Earlier today, Jim Duquette told us he thinks there's a 25% chance they finish. A 25% chance they finish the Major League Baseball season. That seems to be a pretty popular thought around the game, that they're going to get going on time, that will be fine two weeks from now. Well, fine-ish. Two weeks from <laughs> two weeks from now. But as far as what it's going to look like in September, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I would love for him to finish. I think it's really going to suck if they can't go all the way through here. It's going to be really disappointing, you know? You think you have something, and then it's it gets off the ground, it gets going, and you're like, okay, here we go, and then it gets pulled back away from you. The nice thing is it's going to be 100 degrees next week. This virus is gone whenever it heats up. We're going to be A-OK, boys. Hey, All tell, of us are A-OK. Hey, tell that to Florida. <laughs> By the way, Arizona's hot. What's going on today on the fast lane, Ronj? Uh, we're going to do more stuff today. Fantastic. Don't the you guys is, love stuff? I, it's my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. For we're going we're, we're to talk about how big the next couple of weeks is for the Cardinals. We're going to start things off that way. And uh, as they get ready for a regular season that absolutely will finish. For Jamie Rivers and Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. Rivers and BK coming back tomorrow at 11 o'clock. Coming up next is the Fastlane on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN.